Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. Lines open. You can text 0868104106. And of course, uh, Tony Houlihan makes many of the front pages. Don't you think that all too often now you have government circles or ministers or political parties saying, well, we could have done it better. You know, we could have handled it better. Or I didn't know about it. I wasn't informed. Uh, but yet we have this, the health minister saying that he wasn't even informed. Imagine that, chief of the health department, not being told that uh, the chief medical officer, Tony Houlihan, was going on a thing called a secondment, a secondment um, from his department within the HSE to Trinity. Oh, and by the way, uh, the department would continue to pay his salary in Trinity. Um, so even though he's gone and is you know, lecturing in Trinity, then they have to hire somebody else on the same kind of money that Hulan was on to take over his job uh, within health. Uh, so that also makes the Irish Independent today. Health Department refuses to say who actually signed off on the Trinity College Road role for Hulan. I, I don't know. It's, it's a bit like the Zapone story all over again, isn't it, when you think of it? More on that across the morning, because apparently it's quite common for people within government departments to go on secondment to other places uh, while being paid. Um, and Stephen Donnelly's trying to tell us that this is a great thing. It happens all the time and that everyone wins. Um, diesel, well, will it or won't it run out of the pumps in the next couple of weeks? Well, it's a story in the mail this morning saying that we face the threat of fuel forecourts running dry of diesel in just a fortnight. They don't say anything about petrol, but they do mention uh, diesel. And uh, the booster, well... Many people have had three, and now there's a talk about a fourth for people aged 65 and older set to receive another COVID-19 booster. That's a story that makes this morning's uh, red tops. You know, um, in in the real world, of course, many people are struggling, uh, and struggling very hard uh, to pay their bills. Um, And, you know, uh, everything's gone up. You know, you do a supermarket shop, everything's gone up. But you don't need to tell you that. You're trying to get anything done in the house, all that's gone up if you can afford to get anything done in the house, that is. But trying to find a home, of course, and it's a story that, you know, you could, spe- you could spend the entire week talking on this program with people desperate to try and rent a house or find a house or, or buy a house even that they can afford on a mortgage. So there was a three-day period last month, apparently, where here in Cork, there was no properties available within the HAP limits at all, at all. And that's the story that makes the echo today. And above in prison, as they call him, the twisted killer, Graham Dwyer, uh, he's walking around with swell chest and a brand new haircut, delighted with his European court win. The mirror call him the smug killer Dwyer, uh, with an extra spring in his step now after his appeal boost. Uh, John Jumbo Karens makes all of the papers. You know how we hear of people who go overseas for different forms of surgery? A lot of the time it's gastric banding, gastric sleeves. A lot of the time it's to get dental work done. And it's a tragic story of a 66-year-old man called Tony Rogers. He's from Drogheda County, Louth. He went over to Turkey to get implants fitted, apparently. Um, it was uh, his, uh, went on his own, an emergency procedure. Um, and he passed away in the dentist chair uh, the next morning, apparently. He went over to get implants. He, he wasn't known to have any underlying health conditions or anything. He just died in the chair in the dental surgery. It's very, very tragic and, you know, disturbing because I was reading in the same article from John Kearns that uh, three out of four dentists in Ireland are saying they have to deal with problems arising from treatments people had received Overseas, And this is just dentists alone. On this here program in the past, I've also told you stories of uh, Irish hospitals. Amongst them, 
the A&E department at CUH and indeed surgeons within CUH who have to deal with botched jobs when it comes to, say, for instance, a gastric band or a gastric sleeve. And the Dental Association say they're very concerned about the quality of dental care in other countries and they're urging people to get consultations at home first. And of course, people wouldn't be going overseas in the first place if the prices overseas weren't so attractive and so cheap by comparison to here at home. I'll come back to Irish prices, particularly with, the, you know, looking at it through the eyes of a tourist a little later on this morning. If you tried to rent a car on Leaside recently, I'll give you some incredible statistics as to the cost of renting a car, either in the city or at the airport. Um, but more and more people are getting up on their old e-scooters. And I suppose it should come as no surprise to us that they're more dangerous than any other mode of travel. They're even more dangerous than motorbikes or bicycles. They fly along, and of course, the actual area that you got the stand on is quite slim as it is. Um, but more common injuries on e-scooters nowadays than with motorbike riders. I'm still not 100% sure. It's still very grey area with regards to the law as to, you know, is it is it fully kosher to be up on an e-scooter? And if so, do you need to stay in the bicycle lanes? Because not everybody does. Last night I watched the Netflix documentary on Jimmy Savile. Don't know whether you've seen it or not. There's been a few documentaries in the past. There's a new Steve Coogan drama coming out where he plays the part of Savile soon enough. Um, there was a lot of new information last night. Well, you know what was new about it? And I won't spoil it for you if you're planning to, to actually sit down and watch it. For the first time, we heard the audio. Well, I did anyway in this documentary. We heard the audio of Jimmy Savile being interviewed under caution by Surrey Police. Now, I found that very interesting because in the past it was just transcripts but in this document you will hear uh, Jimmy Savile batting off the questions of detectives and also another thing his relationship with Prince Charles the Prince of Wales was just very very disturbing I mean they were incredibly close it I mean, not in any kind of, not in any kind of untoward way now. No disrespect meant in that regard. But it's, I got the impression uh, that um, Charles was was using Jimmy Savile as his main confidant, as his media advisor. He would like there was just there was just hundreds and hundreds of letters back and forth between the two of them. So you know how, how do how do people get away with this? Apparently, they say, well, they hide in plain sight, and time after time after time, year in year out, decade after decade. Savile was dropping all sorts of hints as to his carry-on, and nobody was taking the bait, apparently. Ed Sheeran, of course, won his uh, copyright battle, and we heard about that yesterday morning, and uh, he, he actually had very interesting things to say. And you could say this about any kind of area of court proceedings, and he said, I feel like claims like this, you know, this was to do as to whether he copied a song or not, and the court found, of course, that he didn't, and that's the end of that. But he said, I feel like claims like this are way too common now. And we've become a culture where a claim is made with the idea that a settlement will be cheaper than taking it to court, even if there's no base for the claim. Have we heard that before? Yes, we have. We heard it many, many times where insurance companies will settle with someone. Uh, they don't necessarily want to believe whether it happened or not or whether the person was injured or not or whatever. They just settle because it's cheaper than going to court. Alex Ferguson continues to make a pile of dosh, apparently, He's making the equivalent of €280,000 a week. And good luck to him um, after an incredibly successful career. 
Uh, the Sun says this morning that because of his investments, his book deals, many, many public appearances, along with uh, two and a half million euro a year for 20 days. Uh, he, he works 20 days a year working as the club ambassador at Man United. And he's 80 years old. He's making nearly 300 grand a week. Uh, to, to see the, to anybody see the photograph of Joe Wicks? I mean, he, he describes himself as, a, as an emotional eater. I think it's fantastic of him because all we ever see is the very lean and muscled photographs of Joe Wicks, the fitness guru who, guru who really came to the fore during COVID lockdown, right? Because he did most of his stuff online. Um, but many people are saying to be shocked, his fans, when he posted a picture of himself with a big fat belly on him and what he calls his bingo wings. Um, and the headline, Body Coach Joe Has Let Himself Go. He says, yeah, he can be an emotional eater like everybody else, but he's put on a fair amount of weight with the big belly on him and the, and the bingo wings. His words, not mine. He says, three bacon sandwiches at breakfast, together with hash browns and beans, it's not a very good image when I'm a body coach, is it? But he's being honest and open about it. Oh, I should have mentioned this other one then, the Hand of God jersey, when I was talking about um, um, the story regarding Alex Ferguson. But apparently Maradona's shirt is going for auction. They figure it may get anywhere between 5 and 7 million euro. This is the 86 World Cup uh, shirt that, uh, you know, where he flicked the ball into the net with his hand, the Hand of God one. And broke the English hearts. Whoever's going to buy it or win it in an auction or going to bid for it in an auction. I can't imagine that there'll be anybody English bidding for it. But there you go. Seven million for a jersey. And then some great news. Um, we got another ferry going to France. I think these are great. I love things like the, the Masters starting in Augusta and stories about ferries going from Cork to Roscoff and places like that. Brittany Ferries have announced a new ferry uh, and it will go apparently midweek, which is fantastic. Another direct route to France. I, I just love going by sea anyway. It's slower and it's more relaxing. But I just love those kind of stories uh, because it means that summer is just around the corner. The number one talk show in Cork. If it's happening in Cork, Neil is talking about it. The Neil Prendeville Show on Red FM. And you can and you can text 0868104106. Pick up the phone and uh, give us a bell uh, on 0818104106. Uh, also, I hope at some stage to have an opportunity to chat with the Corkman Aidan O'Callaghan, who joins the cast of East Enders this week. Uh, yeah. Corkman, he's from uh, Inishannon apparently, went to Hamilton High School, then to Trinity and off to the UK and joined a theatre company. And he plays Lewis Butler, the new manager of the Prince Albert Bar. Don't know how long he lasts in the soap, they're saying, but I'd imagine a long, long time because he seems to have what it takes and starts in EastEnders and hails from Inishannon, which is great. Sit down, pal. Daniel O'Reardon has just dropped into studio for a quick chat. And there's a fabulous backstory to this because um, Daniel is joining me in studio with little Katie to say thanks to everybody who managed to get the passport uh, for Katie. Now, it was Dan's wife, Katrina, that was on the air with us originally. And it's a very sad story, actually, when you look into it, because they're going to New York, not on a holiday, not under happy circumstances or anything like that, uh, but to visit a loved one who's unwell. So, Daniel, welcome. Listen, sorry about this. There's fierce confusion here. Just come over here and pull that microphone and get yourself over. Welcome. Thanks for popping in. Thank you for good. having us. Not at all, my man. And good to see, uh, good to see little Katie as well. How old is she? She's only one. She just turned one there on the 15th. Okay. So, it's, um, it's a fabulous story because we got a result on it eventually. There was all sorts of issues with the passports. Everyone's passport was rocking. You were ready to go, but none for Katie, wasn't it? Yes, we applied in January for Katie's passport, my wife's passport, the same day as well. 
So we thought everything was fine and there was nothing coming from it. <laughs> Hello! <laughs> so we, we applied for the passport thinking everything was fine as normal. All the paper went off and then we were ringing and ringing and there was no sign of the passport coming. And you could see it online and everything, pending and all this stuff. Pending for months and months and we were like, what's going on? There's Anxiety no sign Anxiety levels through the roof. And we, we called him and said everything's fine, there's no need for the paperwork, the paperwork is okay from it. You just have to wait. Yes, that's what we were told. It's in process. You have to wait as a first-time passport. Katie, so put on the headphones, little baby. Put on, put them on. Do you like them? See them? Oh. Are they nice? Yeah. <laughs> I'd say that's the youngest broadcaster <laughs> yeah. we've ever had in here. Very headphones on her. So, listen, we got involved then because uh, Katrina came on the air, wasn't it? She is. We were in a state, we were worried at that stage because we were getting closer and closer to going and we couldn't get the passport and we rang the passport office and a couple of times they actually hung up on me at 4.30. <sighs> Yeah, I so, remember. I remember your wife telling me that. So we rang and saying, "Look, we're under pressure. What's going on?" And he hung up. He said, "It's it's home time. It's four thirty. <laughs> he was going home. <laughs> so we rang back with him because we realised when we rang back, it said, "Oh, hours till four thirty. I know nine to four thirty. You right. and thousands of others like you. Yes, we were not. The, at least we're not the only ones who were in that situation either, which is a sad thing. But the sad aspect of this, of course, is it's your sister in New York, isn't it? Yes, this family member in New York who has cancer, so it's not like a holiday we're going on. So if it was a holiday, you'd say, fair enough, you'd wait your turn, you don't mind, stuff like that. But when it's something like this that you have to go <coughs> and you're worrying and panicking... You're all right, Katie, little thing. Do you want to a little crawler on the floor there? Should be all right? Yeah. Let her chew on the cables. <laughs> I don't think I'm like that, no. No, I don't think so. But, but listen, can I ask you, how is your sister, Sheila? She's getting treatment now at the moment from it. Yeah. So she's kind of a bit sick, but we don't know. And it's kind of, it could be hello, goodbye. I know, know, it could be, yeah. Because we'd normally yeah. go over, we'd go over to see her. And she'd yeah. come over to see us. I know, I know. It's just that Katrina was telling me that it was to say your goodbyes. And it's yes, it's, which is a sad thing. And look, she, she hasn't met Katie yet. I know. Over the pandemic, after happening. Well, we have your little passport now, Katie. We do. And you're ready Thank to you go sure. to America to see your auntie in New York. Thanks, you need, and all the no, team. Can I just say, oh. yes, thank you to the team. But I have to say, Mary Rose Was at Michal Martin's office here in Cork really got it over the line for us. She was a Trojan for it, I must say. She was the push behind it. She really forced her hand. She did. To do it. And she really pulled out of the stuff. So it's, it's Mary Rose that I'd like to say thank yes, you to. Yes, I'd like because to thank Mary Rose as well yeah, from yeah. it. And I called in to see, see her as well, popped into her as well, after I rang ourselves last week to let she you know as well. That. She loves my passport. She's chewing on her passport. So what time are you flying at tomorrow? We're thinking it's 20 past two tomorrow. We're flying. So we're leaving today just to bring her up to the airport just to settle in to have a good night's sleep. Okay, okay. From it. All right. Well, I'm going to be kind to her. I'm not going to keep you any longer because she wants to move around and get on with her life rather than sitting in here looking at my ugly face. But listen, seriously, um, have a good trip. And I know it's an emotional trip for you regarding your sister's condition. So we wish you well. Um, and uh, and uh, and just look after each other, and you know, do what you need to do. Over there. Hopefully, your sister will get well. Thank you very much, Neil, and thank you for the team and Mary Rose for all your help. Not at all. Can we get a snap before you leave in here? And because, indeed, um, delighted we got it across the line. Lovely to see you, Daniel, and of course, the girl of the moment, who's all about her passport, little Katie. How old is she now? She just turned one. <laughs> <laughs> All the signs of it. <laughs> Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106. Red FM. Just mentioning, actually, because uh, I don't know how annoyed you might be about this. Or maybe you think it's all cool and, you know, it's just the way to go. Uh, that you're going to have secondments from one area of the public sector into another area. I, I didn't even know 
that uh, Trinity would be deemed as being still within the public sector. I thought that it was a very profitable, independent business in its own right, a bit like bit like UCC. But we do have the Chief Medical Officer, Tony Houlihan, uh, who's gone now, will go from the Department of Health to lecture in Trinity College. But it's still the Department of Health and, and therefore the taxpayer that will continue to pay his salary when he moves over to Trinity. It also leaves a gap within the HSE for somebody else to take up his job as the chief medical officer and to pay him as well, probably change out of 200 grand. So that means we got two wages going on at the same time. So the left hand and the right hand, yet again, not knowing uh, what the other hand is doing. Uh, I know uh, that Colin Burke was part of the committee on this and is kind of like in, is much in the dark. When I say committee, uh, I'm talking about the Oireachtas Health Committee. But even Jerry Buttermer was talking about it. Yes, I think, I think in the Senate. Jerry, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you this morning? Firstly, what is what is a secondment? What is it? Well, my understanding is that the secondment is where, when a person uh, is trans moves from, in this case, a, a particular role, uh, and then is realigned or reassigned a different position, either in the department or or, or a different department. Uh, but this one is a different one in so far as this is now the, the creation of a new post um, in Trinity College. And, and can I just make my comment, Neil, if I may? My, my remarks are not personal in any shape or form. I'm a former chairman of the health committee. I worked very closely with the chief medical officer. He, he's a person whom I have huge admiration for. I admire him greatly. And, and the work that he has done, not just during... Uh, the COVID pandemic, but in his tenure as chief medical officer, and uh, often in challenging times uh, for him. Uh, in, 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 in spite of what what went on with regards to the cervical smear scandal, in in spite of well, in spite of the two years of COVID, it's kind of a bit of a, a marmite position, isn't it? You either love it or hate that position. Yeah, and and he did a huge job and did a particularly fantastic role, in my opinion. But this is this is a, a position of public health and strategy leadership, um, which has been created. It is being funded uh, by the taxpayer and 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 the state. Um, I have no issue with with his appointment to that job or to the salary. Um, but somebody, Neil, somebody in the in the Department of Health uh, signed off on us. Um, the Minister for Health uh, has said that he did not sign off on us. He so said he that, he didn't he, didn't he say something on the lines of that he didn't know anything about it. Correct, uh, and, and, and he is the minister with responsibility for the Department of Health. Now, the chief medical officer has a very precise role within that hierarchy, but the Secretary General of the Department of Health is somebody who should be, I think, also asked as to how did this position come about, how did the settlement take place. Uh, and the other point that I think gets important, Neil, here, is that the new chief medical officer uh, will take up their position and yesterday in the health committee uh, the the secretary of the department of health said it was for indefinite duration the appointment so what does that mean that's a hundred and eighty seven thousand euro job yes that it will be done for a period of indefinite duration so we're paying so that means we pay twice we pay why isn't trinity paying Tony Houlihan's salary. And that's the other question that needs to be asked and answered is why is this not funded by the, by the in this case, the university uh, that is creating the position? Uh, and the position itself, Neil, actually, is, is a very interesting one and I think it will, will bring a very huge benefit to us. No, but, but, but you see, when I hear of a position being created, it reminds me of, of the Catherine Zapone saga. 
Well, this is <laughs> the catch and support saga was over a less less money, a different type of role, and that it was a, a, a sort of a, an advocacy role. But this is a this is a job, um, and and what I find interesting is that Michael McGrath, the Minister of Public Expenditure, said yesterday that it would normally be the case that the host body that is receiving the services of someone would pay the salary. Could you explain that to me, and then as to why uh, Stephen Donnelly said that? It, it it doesn't matter at the end of the day it's still the state will pay it are, are, do Trinity and the likes of UCC not work independently as businesses in their own right well they do in, in lots of cases and they have they, they have they have public money and public money does pay salaries and, and but they, they have their own ability to raise and, and, and research and, and innovation and, and, and funding and, and that's why there's clarity in this deal you know nobody is questioning the merit of the appointment of the chief minister. Okay, but okay, no, yeah, I'm not even getting into that. But what I would like yeah. to know is, um, where was the job application? Um, where was it advertised? Well, uh, how many that, people that, that, went for it? How many opportunities and, and, were given to others who felt that they could do the job as a lecturer just as well? And that's where there's clarity and information needed because it is about transparency. It is about ensuring uh, that taxpayers' money is spent well. Um, and, and that there is a process that you follow. And that's why it's, it's imperative that the Minister for Health, the Secretary of the Department of Health, uh, answer questions on it. And, and that's why, you know, there is a need to have information and clarity in, around this appointment and around the funding of it provided. And that's what many of us are trying to achieve. Uh, I, and, and I really believe, Neil, that it is important that the, the Minister and, and the, the Secretary of the Department of Health answers the questions on it. Because the reality here is the head of government, the Taoiseach, didn't know anything about it. The Minister for Public Expenditure, the, 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 the whole of the public purse, didn't know anything about it. The Minister for Health... So Michael McGrath knew nothing about it, Pascal O'Donoghue knew nothing about it, Michal Martin knew nothing about it, Stephen Donnelly said he came late to the story. Um, so somebody did, Neil. And that's where... So was the position who. created for Tony Hoolan? Was it created for him? Well, I don't know the answer because, again, if you, if you, on first reading of the announcement of, of his retirement, I'm sure like you, or I'm sure like me, you would have thought uh, he's retiring and congratulations, best of luck and happy retirement and thank you for your service and, and we wish you well and we'll appoint a new chief medical officer. But this is not what's happened here. Yeah, it's not. We now have two salaries of the same amount, one for an outgoing um, medical officer and one for his replacement. His replacement. And, and, and my, 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 my fundamental point here is that there is a need for clarity and transparency in the whole secondment process and then in the whole issue of the funding of the job by Trinity. And Trinity must answer the question too as to how this or what was arrived at. Okay, so then why, the, doesn't the, so why doesn't the health committee within the Oireachtas bring in Tony O'Hoolan and sit him down and ask him those questions? Well, yesterday they had they had they, they had the minister or they had the secretary general uh, in before the, the committee. They did ask for the chief medical officer to come in, uh, from my understanding, uh, and he wasn't available until after a certain date. And what? Th- so that was Robert Watt yesterday, wasn't it? Robert Watt was in yesterday, correct? Yes. All right. And do you, do you have any idea what he said? Well, he 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 just said that the, the role yesterday would be would be uh, of indefinite duration. He did not, from my understanding, from talking to my colleagues and from 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 watching some of it back, did not provide any clarity on, on, on who signed off on, the, on, on, on this particular position or the movement. I mean, is it any wonder that someone within government circles is saying that we could have handled this better? 
yet again. Yeah, but the, but again, it, 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 <laughs> excuse me, it is a question of who signed off, why did they do so, how did the, how was the process, you know, carried out? Um, because, you know, I'm not against the type of job being created, Neil, because we do need to learn from the pandemic. And, and the minister, when I asked him in the Shannon yesterday, in his reply to me, he said that uh, other Asian countries have done this post-SARS. And I accept that. And we do need to be prepared for any future catastrophic health events and if there's a, a future pandemic. But, it but, is, but Trinity is a profit-making organization, right? Well, it's a, it's a university. It's, it, it, they, they're, not, they're, not, they're not for loss, exactly. But they, they, and they are a world-class university. Um, but, but the whole thing... Yeah, but it's a, it's a fairly elite establishment, isn't it? Well, I wouldn't say it's elite in terms of that you have to follow the, the criteria to get in there, um, to be fair. Um, and, and there, is, there, there is But people a, listening a to this who, for instance, can't uh, have to make up their mind as to whether they put food on the table or turn on the heat. Yes. Um, they, they, they live in a different world to the upper echelons of education within Trinity College. Or whatever, and uh, it's not. We shouldn't just personalise it to Trinity, but yeah, the, the, well, that, that's part of the difficulty need that we have to. Yeah, well, like I, I'd like to go on secondment to UCC or to the CUH for twelve months, but that's clearly not possible, you know. No, but in your case, it's different because you're working in a private organisation, transferring to a public organisation, uh, and and therefore your your Red FM would not be paying for you. Yeah, for but um, maybe there are other people out there who'd be equally capable of doing the job that Tony Holden would do in Trinity College, but it was never advertised. They never got an opportunity. They never and got we, to throw their hat in the ring. And we don't know that, and that's why we need answers on it. Correct. So what happens next? Well, what happens next is I'm going to continue pursuing this. I've spoken to my colleague, Senator Martin Conway, Deputy Colin Buck of the Health Committee, and we will pursue this because it, it isn't about the person, it's about the process. And that's the fundamental point here. And, and, and do you, do, does anybody know how many hours a week he might be lecturing, whether it's full-time or part-time? It's 187,000 a year. Would it be a nine-to-five job or what? Well, the minister yesterday said to me that, that, that the position would have linkages uh, in terms of a broad collaboration across academic institutions and the healthcare system. There will be links with the WHO, Europe and the HHS. Yeah, I, I understand that, but is it a full-time yeah. job? Like, is it an eight-hour day? Well, it, or is it? It is, I, I presume it is a full-time job and there is a, there is a, you know, a contract that, that is fulfilled, that has to be fulfilled. But again, it goes back to the fundamental point. What was the criteria what was the process and who signed off on us? Yeah, it's, 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 it's astonishing, isn't it, that all too often within the HSE, you have people wondering about Tony Holhan's salary, you have people wondering about Paul Reed's salary, you have people wondering about um, um, Robert Watt's salary because they're mind-bogglingly high. They are, and, and again, Neil, I, I, and I know you mightn't agree with me, but you know, I, I, I don't have an issue with, with, with paying people properly and correctly. Um, in, in positions of, 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 like in this case, the chief medical officer, which is a very onerous position. And, and again, to be fair to, to, the, to the person who's in the position, did a huge amount of work over a long time and, and, and deserve credit for the work that they've done. But at the same time, there is a need for integrity and process and transparency in this case. Yeah, but and if, he stays, in, if I, he stays in Trinity for 20 years, uh, like the state will be paying his lecturing salary in Trinity for 20 years. <laughs> correct. Correct. Oh, man. And that's why, that's why we need answers to the whole process. And it is, it is frustrating. It is annoying. Um, somebody signed off on it, Neil. Somebody gave the green light to this. Uh, and somebody said, this position is a good one uh, and we'd like X to take the job 
And as you said, well, then if that was the case, was there a, was there an advertisement? Was there an interview process? Was there a you know a, a, a chain or a trail that will lend itself to the appointment of whoever for the job? Okay, and, all right. Let's see. Yeah. Okay, that's thank the bottom you. line we need to find out. All right, Jerry, thank you for that. Much obliged you. to you, Senator Jerry Bonimer. I just hope that when he refers to a trail, I hope the trail does not go cold. Dan, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Good morning, Chair. All right, so you're across this, are you, Donnelly, uh, saying, oh, you know, I was in the dark, I didn't know. I am. Look, look, Neil, Neil, during the banking crisis, we had no money. Everybody had no money. And they still found money to give politicians six million cost of pensions, six million, ten million. And I'm reading something out here now that Daniel McConnell wrote. I know now to go back to a couple of years. But during the banking crisis, there was no money in the country, according to what we're told. We still found out one part, I'm not going to name them, I can name them if you want, but I won't. Six million euros won. Two, two of the politicians got six million worth of a pension, plus 150,000 a year pension, and no money in the country. And they tell us now, they have no money, and people are actually starving in the country. If yeah. they want to find, if they want to find money, Neil, they'll find it. They'll well, they find, now have to work. find an additional one hundred and eighty-seven thousand because they need to pay it out twice. One for Tony Hoolan gone to Trinity, um, and yeah. incidentally, I, I, I believe that I believe that Stephen Donnelly thought up until very recently that Tony Hoolan was retiring. And then apparently somebody dropped a bomb and told him, "Well, he's not actually retiring; he's just going to Trinity. We're going to keep paying a salary." I mean, but it's, Neil, is, it's like, Neil is, 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 is there some reason that he didn't keep on the help board books? Is it quite possible that he that if he breaks his time, he loses some of his pension? So they keep him on the help board books, and when he retires, then he get his, he get his lump sum and everything. I, and I don't, kind of, I don't know, but it just frustrates me and angers me that while people struggle. This is what's going on in the background, as if the same rules or the same morals or logic don't apply for them. But look, Neil, we had big, big builders and developers in the country, and they were declared bankrupt of 11 million, uh, 1.5 billion. 17 yeah. billion, 17 recently. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. 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 And the other day, I saw broadband consultants on Sunday's paper, 17 million euros consultants and they're named on the Sunday Business Post. They were brought in to look at the, the broadband thing. 17 million euros. The same people that were involved in the banking crisis. Oh, well, you make an again. interesting point in your text saying with the health service in crisis and has been in crisis for many decades, this does not sit well with the public. No, it does not. Neil. Right. It does not. That it right. does not. Cheers, Dan. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Back after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818104106. Cork's Red FM. I see a text here. Somebody saying that they, just like uh, Glenda Gilson, don't mind being wolf-whistled at. But like anything, it depends on the tone. As Some are followed by rude remarks or they're made to make you feel uncomfortable. Yeah, so you mean it depends on the tone of the wolf whistle or what follows the wolf whistle. Uh, morning all, uh, Missy the cat uh, was savaged to death at the weekend uh, on the north side and Jacqueline was on air yesterday morning and she shared with me the video of Missy's death. Very, very, very graphic and awfully uh, difficult to watch. Uh, the lurcher, It looks like a lurcher dog that literally tore the cat apart. Uh, morning, Neil. I cleared these lads away a couple of weeks ago down Gronerbrough at half three in the morning 
with a dog like a Labrador. I also thought it looked a bit like a Labrador myself, but anyway, which is an unusual breed to use to kill cats. They're about 15, 16, 17 max in age. They were throwing the dogs into the gardens looking for cats. What struck me that morning was how they were out at that time, half three in the morning. But also one of the lads was carrying a hurley. This is the uncultivated generation that's amongst us, and that's putting it mildly. There's disgraceful antisocial behaviour in general in the north side. To be honest, there needs to be a community response, and all parents need to be keeping an account of their kids, as it's going to become a lot worse. That poor lady's cat, and now her son is without a friend. And her son is on the autism spectrum, of course, and can't understand why Missy is no longer there. That dog loose up in uh, Knocknahini, it was posted yesterday. Why aren't the guards and the CSPCA taking it seriously? All you have to do is walk around the north side. You'll see the scum all the time, using their dogs to attack cats and small dogs. Well, the video footage is there for the guardie. My parents live in that area. That gang is always there terrorising people. A number of houses had to get in CCTV cameras themselves. They're breaking windows. Actually, they, they even drove in Jacqueline's front window there some weeks ago. They're breaking windows, destroying the green with the dogs and their bikes and their scrambling. The elderly people are terrorised. It's a shame, really, because it's a new area and the people are lovely, but their hearts are broken from these scum. And the boy that owns that dog actually lives in the area, but he can't do any wrong in his mother's eyes. wonder how proud his mother is of the fact that uh, the dog he had tore apart a cat. It's so heartbreaking to listen to what happened to that lady's cat. Uh, what a horrible thing to do to any pet. We had a 23-year-old. We adored him. Passed away in January. Uh, our daughter passed away as well. So we're totally broken hearted. Love the show, says Maria. So sad to hear that. Um, did you know, Neil, that the 202 bus service had to be stopped going up to Nahini, um the other night? I think this may have been Tuesday night because stones and rocks were being thrown at the buses. It's a disaster in this area after nine o'clock. So they pulled the 202 going north side. Then... Um, I'll come to calls in a second. Then also from yesterday's program as to whether or not there should be television channels, um, you know, whether it's uh, you know Sky Package, whether it should be Sky Sports, Netflix, etc. Uh, for prisoners, because it was in the paper that we're talking about replacing many of the televisions in our prisons with smart TVs. When I was in B-Wing years ago in the Rathmore Hilton, uh, the only therapy we had was trying to solve who shot JR in Dallas. Leave them have their sky, bud. Well, thankfully, uh, your B-Wing was a long, long time ago if you were watching Dallas. Uh, I'm a current prison officer in Cork Prison. Morning, Neil. The inmates don't have sky. We can't get it, but they do have Netflix. Um, So what kind of a basic package is there besides Netflix, I wonder? On the prisons, they're saying is you're in prison as punishment. You're not in prison to be punished. There's a big difference in that. TV, drugs, the gym, as a prison officer would tell you, happy prisoners are quiet prisoners. But anyone who gets legal aid, say, for a fourth time, then they're on a road to becoming a career criminal. Make them financially responsible for legal aid their fourth time onwards. Did you know that billions are paid every year by the taxpayer for criminals and the government funding criminality in that right? How can this be right? for repeat offenders. Keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. I'll return to that actually in a few minutes' time. But meanwhile, Michael, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Good morning, Neil. What's on your mind, the, pal? Down the, um, the address by President Zelensky of, of, the, of um, Ukraine yesterday in the door was absolutely incredible. It was sensational. 
They compared certainly with the John F. Kennedy and the Nelson Mandela historical visits to Tall Laird and plus many others. Now, the emotion and the brilliance of this man was one of the greatest speeches, I suppose, ever given by anybody. Right. When we consider that this country has been decimated to rubble, this people murdered, shot and raped by the, by the Russians. The applause and the, um, the, the, the enthusiasm of the members who attended was spontaneous. This was the video link, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's right, yeah. yeah. No, I was watching it live, actually. Yeah, 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 I know. I know. And it was um, absolutely fantastic. But to our disappointment and to our disgust, there was four members of the people for profit party sat down, wouldn't applaud, wouldn't stand up to show respect to this brilliant, this brilliant man. Richard Boyd Barrett and Paul Murphy were two. I thought it was a court bloke involved as well, but I was, I was corrected that he was not there at that. He was not a, m- a member of the four who did not applaud. Y- you were referencing Mick Barry at one stage, were you? Well, I thought he was belong to them people for profit. But I was corrected. Mm-hmm. I didn't mention his name. Was it... W- so, was he... No, but was he in the doll? I presume he was a TD. He would have been there. Everybody was did, there. Did he stand up and applaud? I'm not sure. Okay. I didn't see him, but I thought he was one of the four who did not, but it was a card corrected, so I didn't mention his name. But um, it was it, it, one that was terribly insulting. It was a shocking thing to do to the man when you consider seeing the live pictures on television, see what the satellite pictures have shown, and um, what these fellows who we consider reds under the bed or reds in the locker did to this man and these people who, as I said, most of the free world of us. Yeah, um, Paul Murphy, Breed Smith, uh, Richard Boyd Barrett, and My Gino guys, yeah. Kenny didn't applaud. Guys, yeah. Yeah. yeah, fair enough, yeah. Yeah, they said, we stood for the people of Ukraine and stand with them in their struggle. We can't applaud calls for more sanctions, which are hurting, hurting ordinary Russians and bolstering the Putin regime at home. That was the reason they wouldn't stand and applaud. Yeah, yeah, but they had to, they had to put the, the, the most important thing first was the massacre, the genocide True. of these former Russian people. True, I, I mean, if you're asking me, I agree with you 100% on that. Yeah. I really do. Yeah. Now, that was the point I said I'd make you, but as I say, it was appalling. And I hope that those people who voted them in have a good idea of what they're made of. And the next time around, when there is an election, they'll put in more cases. Because they're looking at honest. it through the eyes of, they're looking at it through the eyes of Russian civilians. Yeah. Not Ukrainians. Yeah, yeah but as I say, they're out to knock the um, Ukrainian establishment. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay, okay, good point. Well made. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone yourselves and 0818104106. On carers, can't go on air because it makes me so angry listening to the lovely ladies you've had on the air, particularly the woman looking after our brother. My son has cerebral palsy and also has a progressive brain disease that makes him fall. He suffers from slurred speech, headaches and vertigo. I have to drive almost an hour to cope with him in the mornings and an hour in the evenings. He also is on a waiting list just for a Saturday club or a few hours break for me uh, and for him for years. Physio is all paid for by me. It always has been. He has no speech therapy in years because I can't afford that on top of everything else. Yes, I've applied for home packages over five years ago when I was badly injured and needed help but got nothing. You are right when you say that carers are forgotten about and worse still, children and adults with disabilities are left to themselves. On a side note, why the hell is Cope's hydro pool still closed due to COVID? Everywhere else is open. 
It's so critical, says Mary. Another one, listening to that lady minding her brother as a carer. Yeah, that was a lovely story, isn't it? Brother and sister and the sister minding the brother. I used to be a carer for my mother with Alzheimer's, 24 hours a day. She was nonverbal, but had the best smile you could ask for. Unfortunately, she passed away last July suddenly. I was her carer for seven years. My carer's allowance for the work I did, 24-7, was €107 per week. I had to get a wet room upstairs to make life easier for ma'am, which which I did, and it made it easier. I had to get a stair lift in, and the HSC refused the grant due to my mother's condition. She could jump out of the chair going up because of her Alzheimer's, was their excuse. Mind you, there is a belt and I would have been using the belt. So I couldn't understand um, why they didn't allow it. Also, I bought myself, a, I bought by myself a recliner chair to make her days more comfortable. And that was refused by the HSC, as she could throw herself out of it by using the controls. You can lock the controls in those things. You can just lock them. It was a constant battle between the public health nurse and the occupational therapy nurse. So the HSC are an absolute disgrace. And that is my historic opinion. When I was sick, I still had to get up and mind my mother. I think carers are brilliant. Can't come on. I still miss my beautiful ma'am. So everything that she did to make her mother's life better, more comfortable, more accessible to different areas of the house, whether it was a wet room or a stair lift or a recliner chair, she bought and paid for herself. That lady has so beautifully described her life and worries of carers. Thank you to her from a fellow carer. I just wanted to say to that lady on air caring for her brother, uh, and then they're they're into their late 60s now, both of them. I'm a carer for my two sons. My youngest is eight and has severe intellectual disability and autism as well as other issues. It's not easy by any means and the future is hard to think about regarding my son. The financial side, though, is atrocious. We live from week to week, barely at times getting by. Then there's no services and no respite. So the only respite I have is when my son goes to school. We're completely forgotten about as carers, not by just the government, but a lot of society as well. And it can be a very lonely life. How do you feel then uh, the life you lead where you say that you are literally just trying to get by week to week um, and barely doing so? When you hear of this messing with regards to Tony Houlihan moving from health on 187 grand, moving to the department, moving to Trinity College on 187 grand, somebody else has to come in and do the job that he was doing at the HSC for 187 grand. I mean, it must be heartbreaking. Text 0868104106. Uh, I'll take a quick call on this. Jared, good morning. Good morning. Okay, you wanted to just pick up on this topic regarding Tony Houlihan moving to uh, to Trinity. Go ahead. Yes, indeed. Well, um, Simon Harris is the Minister for Higher Education, which would give him a responsibility over um, Trinity College. So he's obviously one of the first ministers who have questioned... But they're all saying they knew nothing about it, that they knew nothing about it, you see. That may be so, but Simon Harris is Minister for Higher Education. This is his area of responsibility, and he can contact TCD and get any answers he wishes out of them. He's also obviously a cabinet colleague. Yeah, but we need to find out. But none of them, I I don't know who signed off on this idea. So we need to find out who actually put pen to paper and said, I sanction it, proceed with it. Well, I suppose if if you're willing to wait three or four weeks, the Freedom of Information request would solve that. But Jerry Buttermore can ask his colleague Simon Harris for an answer. I mean, they obviously see each other on a pretty regular basis in the dive. So he's a Cork senator, a former TD for Cork South Central. 
So I don't actually see why he hasn't already done this. Good point. Yeah, good point. Uh, maybe he might. Let's find out if he will. But uh, does it incense you, though, when people are struggling as much as they are, that this is what's happening within government circles and within the higher echelons of the HSC? It does in one sense, but how, ma- how many TDs and senators and ministers have spent most of their careers holding on to permanent teaching jobs, which allows them to accumulate a second teaching pension, even though they're full-time politicians? It's would that, not that unusual at all. Would that be the case, would it? Say, for instance, if somebody was a teacher and um, never resigned their teaching position for years and years and years and years and years, they would get a TD's pension or maybe a ministerial pension as well, and also their teacher's pension. Oh, absolutely. Michal Martin taught for one or two years and he's accumulated, um, I think, a full pe- teacher's pension plus the permanent So would the, would, the Taoiseach have, would the Taoiseach have a TD's pension, a Taoiseach's pension and a teacher's pension? Yes, he would. I don't know if he quite did the full full term as a teacher but he certainly has qualifications at this stage for a very large sum. I remember there was an article in the paper once about it and he just fobbed it off. It's it's quite, it's, it's the norm. I think for new politicians they're not allowed to hold on to their teaching jobs quite as long. I think it might be 10 years but for the older generation like what? Michal Martin in the Kinney's another perfect example actually again he was one of the youngest TDs in the Doyle, but he held on to his teaching job for life. Gotcha. Okay. All right. We'll pick it well, up after. What they used to do was they used to hire a temporary teacher and pay them out of their teacher's salary, which allowed them to accumulate pension credits. How, how did that work? Who paid the, the temporary teacher? The, the, uh, the politician who was on secondment or absence of leave, I think, paid his wages paid for the temporary teacher. Oh, okay. And yeah, he well, obviously I, I he or she forego their wages but keep their pension. Well, I, I, I would imagine there was potential for a little profit there as well because as they got older, their teacher's salary probably received increments. Okay. But that okay. has changed a little for new politicians, but I think you can still hold up hold your teaching job for 10 years if you're getting a full-time doll salary or minister's salary. Okay, let me pick it up after 10. Thanks for your contribution. Text 0868 Back after 10. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. Get it off your chest. Text the Neil Brinderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. We're just pulling in text there, texting 086-8104-106 with regards to people's uh, thoughts on Tony Houlihan moving to Trinity College and having the salary at Trinity paid uh, by the state, by the taxpayer, if you like, while also creating a new job for his replacement. So you'll have two salaries at 187000 a year. And, of course, in the real world, then, that everybody else lives in, there's nearly a million Irish people on hospital waiting lists. You just couldn't make this stuff up. So text 0868-104-106. Big response to um, a comment I made regarding overseas weddings uh, earlier in the week. I was saying... But I'm not a big fan of wedding invites anyway. I think I said I prefer to have piles. I think the piles comment had more to do with a wedding invitation overseas. Um, I mean, I wondered who'd actually want to go on an overseas wedding and why do people get married overseas? Is it not very unfair on the guests and very expensive? 
and what have you. Katie says, I've been on two foreign weddings and honestly, probably the best two weddings I've ever been to. The people that attend really want to be there, not just because it's required, like a cousin you've seen twice in five years uh, having a local wedding, but because they truly love the bride and groom. It also means, in general, a smaller, more intimate wedding overseas where every guest gets to meet and talk to almost every other guest. Also, being abroad, people are there for at least three days, if not an extended stay, and not worried about going back to work on Monday or whatever it may be. So you can totally enjoy the whole trip and tune out of the reality, if that makes sense. If I ever get married, I would be looking into a foreign wedding 100%, says Katie. Well, it's expensive for your guests. I mean, maybe some of them are to the pin of their collar and feel that they have to go because the bride and groom's nose would be out of joint, but they just don't have the money. And on top of that, of course, you have to you know, pay the, uh, the wedding dues or the wedding gift as well. Jackie says, where someone chooses to have their special day is up to them. And an invite is just that. It's up to the person invited to decide whether they go to an overseas wedding or not, or any wedding. I personally do not attend weddings unless I'm very close to the couple getting married and want to share their day. I would always give a present. It's not about the amount, but just to acknowledge their special celebrations. Most couples will give plenty of notice for booking hotels and flights, etc. And my experience of going abroad to a wedding is that it's a wonderful experience to share time with the couple, their family and friends, and also to build in a nice holiday as well. And a final one on this, um, I suppose the elephant of the, in the room is a lot of the time, it's cheaper for a couple to have the wedding overseas. The price of a wedding in Ireland is outrageous. Better off to have it out foreign for the couple. And for the guests who attend, it's a holiday. Everyone loves the sun, don't they? And the positive atmosphere, regardless of the price or what gift you give the couple. It's win-win for everyone. You have a great time with family and friends in the sunshine. And it's cheaper for the couple. So that's just a selection. There's lots more like that. But what if you're, what if you're attempting uh, to find love? You know, um, and you're just having no luck in that department. Got a, an email in during the week saying, Last July, Neil, I paid almost a thousand euro to an online matchmaking service who promised to arrange five dates for me. They said in order to find a suitable match, it would take over eight weeks because they did a lot of groundwork to find the right person for me. Unfortunately, this was not my experience. Once they took my money, I didn't hear anything from them. So I contacted them on three separate occasions over a period of eight months. Each time I contacted them, they told me they were busy finding a suitable match for me and that this takes time. Then a week later, they would find the match. The first date, we had absolutely nothing in common. The second, first one was in September, the second was in December, The second occasion, they said they had a match, but then came back a few days later to say the person they had matched me with was away and I'd have to wait until the new year. I got back to them saying that wasn't good enough and they said it was a match even if the person was unavailable. I was told that they had fulfilled their contract to me. It's astonishing. I heard nothing from them again and contacted them in March of the next year, eight months after I first signed up. At this point, they had told me they had fulfilled their contract of three dates. I told them I wanted a refund due to their misleading information about their services. I was told they don't give refunds. And if I wasn't happy with their services, that was my problem. So that was one experience. It's a lot of money. A thousand euro. It's an awful lot of money. Uh, And you would expect that you would sit across the table from a date five times 
I mean, it's astonishing that a company would say, we matched you with a guy, but the fact that he's not available or overseas still is a match. You know, they count that as, as a date. And it's not. Teresa, good morning. Hi, how are you? Did you have any similarities to that email? I feel like it's a copy and paste almost. Like, I mean, there's some uh, dissimilarities. So back in uh, September of 2020, just coming out of the pandemic, uh, you know, that that first little glimmer of hope, I was like, oh, okay, I'm going to try and get back on the dating scene. So I decided to contact a particular matchmaking service and they looked legit. They had been on The Late Late Show, all that sort of thing. So I was like, oh, um, I'll, I'll give them a go. And I had to have like a consultation with them first, which lasted for about 40 minutes on a WhatsApp call mm-hmm. and that cost uh, close to 300 euros. They didn't ask any like very leading questions. I would have thought that they would have asked, you know, maybe like some personality questionnaires, you know, maybe just done like a big five inventory, like that sort of thing. What so, were you asked? Um, I was just asked what I was interested in, what my job was. And like, that was pretty much it. And, you know, where they're like deal breakers and just the general thing of like, do you want to have kids, etc. Um, like very vague questions. Okay. Um, and that was a half an hour Zoom. Obviously that was during COVID, so they couldn't do anything different but to Zoom. So I understand that. But that was a 300, was that 300 euro? Yeah. Before you, before you signed up and paid more, is it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then they said, okay, we will arrange three dates for you. And I was like, oh, okay. And they were like, you have to pay an extra, I think it was like 700 or something. So the cost of a thousand. And I said, okay, could I pay that in installments? And they said, you can, but you can't have any of your dates until the whole thing is paid. Right. Yeah. I can kind of understand that as well. Because you might pay an installment. They may do an awful lot of work on your behalf. You might hit it off with the first person you date. And they're out of pocket from from a client then. Absolutely. So I kind of figured, okay, that seems fairly reasonable and I kind of moved some money around and I was like okay right I'll, I'll just do it let's 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 go for it let's let's jump on in so I sent them that and um anyways I a couple of days later happened to be at a meetup group where I spoke with a kind of an acquaintance of mine and I dropped the name of this particular place and she said oh no I've had some terrible experiences with them I barely got any dates when I did get dates they the two people that they signed me up with had nothing in common with me okay. and I wasted with Enduro. So I was like, So she oh, got she got two dates, was it, for a grand yeah. with someone no, on both occasions, yeah. people that had nothing in common with her. Yeah. Like yeah. I wonder like I wonder what like I wonder what was what were the dates like in the in the sense was there an age disparity, like personality um, issues, what? Major personality issues and uh, complete differences in terms of wants for life you know she did not want to have children he wanted to have kids like total mismatch. Now that's a red flag to me straight away as a match yeah yeah like the fundamentals um so for me I was, that's a basic like, you know you need to get yeah. that right one wants to have children find somebody to have children with one wants to find somebody doesn't want to have children with exactly <laughs> that's never so going to work much, it was very much the fundamental things of uh, one was even saying they wanted that like marriage was incredibly important and she isn't as into marriage. And he said, no, it absolutely has to happen. It has to be a very religious ceremony and she wouldn't be into that. Yeah. Um, so all of these things were kind of like 
kind of <laughs> red flag speed and I was thinking, oh my God, they made it sound like they knew what they were doing. Uh, but then obviously I was looking back and kind of thinking, but they haven't done anything. They, they, they should have had like a battery of tests. They didn't. It was a very informal WhatsApp call. Okay, so you uh, paid the 300 for the Zoom and then the balance of 700, so you paid 1,000. Did you get dates? No. None? None, none. Um, so what happened was I I never got a contract or anything from them in the post, even though they said they sent one and they said that I signed it. And I said, well, that would be very difficult because I never got anything to sign. And... Uh, Basically, I emailed them saying, well, I want my money back. And they were like, well, we can't give you the money back for the call because you can't just ring a doctor and uh, get your money back for a doctor's visit because you're unhappy with the diagnosis. And I was like, well, yes, that's fair, but I'm looking for the other money back. The 700 Um, for the dates that never arrived. Yeah. Yeah. And they said, well, no, because we've done work on this. Okay. Okay. What work was done? Well, exactly. Nothing. Nothing that I could tell. And I've emailed them, I don't know how many times over the last maybe year and a half. And nothing. Okay. Nothing. Okay. They're very prickly and very difficult to get a hold of and very... No, I mean, we, like, I want to give them one opportunity because we did call the dating agency in question. And here's a quote. Um, We were told, uh, this is a quote from them. They said to us, you guys get off on stories like this. Um, and abruptly ended the conversation. They were the words we got. Uh, but I want to give them one last opportunity to respond to your story. I want to give them an opportunity to respond to um, the original email that I just read out there and some other um, calls as well and texts from people that I will have very shortly. Um, I just want to give them one opportunity more uh, before you know, we we delve into who the actual actual company is. Give them an opportunity to respond. If they don't take it, then there's nothing I can do about that because you're telling me exactly what happened. You never got a date. No, not a single one. Uh, but thankfully for me, I actually met my fiance shortly after that, so it worked out for me. <laughs> Where'd you meet him? Um, I met him at a meetup group. What are they? Um, basically, they are. It's it's like an app that people can go for like coffee, mornings, walks, etc. You get to meet people who are in your vicinity and make friends. And uh, he just happened to turn up to one that I had organized. And that was that. You clicked. Yeah. Yeah. But very, did, very much so. So over, the, over what period of time are we talking from the Zoom call to you wanting your money back? How long was that period? Um, about 10 days. So why why did you why did you react so quickly? Why didn't you give them more time? Um, because I had spoken to the your friend, friend. yeah, yeah, and that she outlined that it was such a negative experience for her, and that she had tried to basically get them to do stuff, etc. And I know what she was like, and I know she wouldn't be very um, yeah pretty sort of thing, yeah. And I started to look back at it with a more critical lens. And I thought, but well, would you accept in their defense that you didn't give them enough time? Now, she had a bad experience. And of course, the email they read out is, a, is an experience where she was told, OK, we have a match for you. He can't turn up, but it counts as a match. So I understand all of that. That's not acceptable. But would you think that maybe you should have given them a little more time? I mean, in, in that particular case, yes, absolutely. However, I think to take the full... 
as I said, I wasn't looking for the whole chunk back. Um, but to say, oh, I'm taking the full 700 uh, from that over a 10-day period, that seems quite excessive to me. Yeah, okay, okay. Um, okay. Um, happy out now, though. and cost you nothing. Yeah, yeah. Who, who would have thought the old-fashioned, well, semi-old-fashioned way worked? But, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Got some texts on this as well. Thank you so much. Much obliged to you, Teresa. Tinder all the way. If you're willing to weed out the creeps, it's a good way to go, says Julie. Sean says, paying a dating agency, is that called a single transaction? (laughs) They should go to the small claims court as they did not provide the service as promised. Uh, Janice says, the free sites like Tinder, plenty of fish can be exhausting. And there's a lot of game playing there. They don't work for everybody. I can completely understand uh, why someone would pay an agency if they were of the understanding that it was a reputable agency. It's very disappointing that this happened to these ladies, especially with the high cost. Uh, But Frank says, you'd want to be a right desperate fool to pay for a dating site. Okay, let me chat with more on this. Uh, Amongst them, Jean Sullivan Belici. Hope I'm pronouncing her name right. She's a Cork dating coach. Jean, good morning. Hi, good morning. What do you, you make? You what? pronounced it correctly. Good, I'm glad. <laughs> what do you make of that one from Frank? You'd want to be a right desperate fool to pay for a dating site. <laughs> it's fairly harsh. Oh, uh, you know, it is harsh. And I, I really sympathize with those stories because a lot of the clients who come to me have come fresh off the same exact story. And I have a lot of friends and even my husband went through the same thing. And I think in a lot of cases, they just don't have enough people signed up. Um, to provide enough <laughs> critical mass of people to get you a meaningful match. So what do they do then, um, just generally speaking? Do they, because they have a shortage of matches for men to women, men to men, women to women, so they just match with anyone at all, is it? Well, that's that's been the experience of my clients. That's what they tell me. And that's what my husband, before he met me, and another dear friend they, that's what their perception was, that they did get their dates, but they were just not really good matches. And uh, they all think it's because they didn't have enough. There wasn't enough. Up. So it wasn't a case of doing the groundwork, trying to find suitable matches. They just didn't have enough and just maybe yeah. didn't do anything until the client pushed them into something, is it? I think so. Mm. So what's a better way then? You know, I, I truly believe that it's better for people to pick their own match. Um, When I coach people, it's really more about just helping them figure out what they want, what their deal breakers are, um, what, what's the reason that they're not attracting the right people and help them figure it out and, you know, release any resistance that they have to, because a lot of people say they want a relationship, but they're also not a hundred percent behaving like they want one. They're a little afraid. Um, or they lack confidence. And so I just really help them with that. Mm. And then they find their own person. Mm. So is that why sometimes then on a date, there might be a personality issue, but it's not really a personality issue. It's fear or it's nervousness or embarrassment Ab- or shyness. Absolutely. And especially in Ireland, I found that a lot of people, even you know people who are really successful in one area of their life, they have a great career and they have a great circle of friends. A lot of times they have what I call dating imposter syndrome. And, you know, suddenly all this resistance shows up, all this fear, uh, lack of confidence. And um, a lot of times it's because they think confidence is the same thing as arrogance. 
and I have to help them uh, see that it's not about having notions about yourself. It's just really to be comfortable in your skin enough so that the other person feels comfortable with you. So do you do one-on-ones with people then to coach them with regards to confidence and personality? I do. Yeah. I, I coach people one-on-one and I also um, do group coaching as well for people who really prefer like to have a community of people who are on the same boat as they are. Because the dating game has very much changed now, hasn't it? Um, like from the old oh. traditional boy meets girl in a pub or a club or what have you. It has changed a lot and, and many people are very worried about dating online and yet the younger folks, they're more comfortable with it. But the people who come to me are usually, you know, over 40 and they feel a little more cautious about dating online because of, you know, shows like the Tinder swindler yeah. and all these stories that they hear. Yeah. And I help them, you know, with tips on just how to stay safe, how to protect yourself. But I truly believe that you know, having online dating as part of the mix is important because it, it, it exposes you to more people and it can, you can, if you use it correctly and write your profile the right way, it can be a good screening tool too. Okay, so when, when you've worked with them, where do you send them out then into the world of dating? Is it online? Is it Tinder? Is it Plenty of Fish? I'm sure there are others besides that. Is that where you send them? I encourage them to use a paid dating site and use the one that they feel the most comfortable with they feel is the right you know interface for them um the reason i don't like the free sites i'm not saying it's impossible (laughs) to meet somebody but i think it it's more um people aren't as invested in the process if they don't have some skin in the game and i think it also makes it more easy for scammers to sign up and what would a scammer typically be looking to do so typically they want to, you know, gain your sympathy, um, create a false connection. They, they're very good at spotting people who are in a vulnerable state. And there may be listeners out there who feel who have been scammed. And I just want to reassure them that these are highly trained people. And if this has happened to you, um, you know, most people are on the up and up and, you know, it's, it's not something to really, you know, berate yourself for, you know, forgive yourself for it. These are people who are looking for, for our vulnerable folks and they'll, the way to spot them is just if they won't talk to you on the phone or they won't meet you in person or meet you on video, that's a red flag. Mm-hmm. And then also if they ask for money, mm-hmm. they, they usually have an incredibly clever reason for it. But don't fall for that. But it's they, always but, a scam. But don't they sometimes engage in dating and uh, and pretend to be in the relationship? But their modus operandi is money. You know, they don't. It doesn't. It's not that they refuse to meet. Sometimes they will meet and conduct a relationship, but with money yeah. in mind. Yes, I say most of the scammers do it the way I, I mentioned. But you're absolutely right. There are ones who really um, are after people with a lot of money. Um, they are in it for the long haul and they, you know, these are personality types that really get off on the game of, you know, playing all these different roles. And is that happening? Is this, and we, we talk about this and seeing television shows on Netflix and perhaps it happens a lot in America, but does it happen here? I think it happens anywhere. You know, um, the Tinder swindler, for example, I mean, he was operating all over Europe. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. But there's also other red flags, isn't there? When somebody turns up at a date, the red flag is too late and they don't look like their photograph, right? 
or they aren't the yeah. age they claim to be. <laughs> yes, that happened to me on one of my dates uh, before I met my husband. What, um, much I older a, or much younger? Much older. He was 20 years older than I am, and he used a younger picture, and it was cleverly photoshopped, so it didn't look like a dated picture. Did, it, did you call him out on it? I did. I did it kindly, but I said, wow, you know, I think that was a, a much older photograph. And, you know, I encourage clients to use photos that are three years old or less because you really want to be confident enough in your skin to really show yourself as you are. And the right person's going to love you the way you are now. It's not something that you should. I often wonder why somebody would use somebody else's photograph, right? Or they use a photograph of themselves from 20 years ago knowing that when they meet the person, the person's going to be shocked. Exactly. Um, I think there's a lot of fear there um, in somebody who does something like that. Um, And I I encourage people just to be themselves because not to worry about the people who are going to think you're too old or too this or too that. You just need to attract one right person. And is this more prevalent now, you know, people looking for love and relationships after the two years that we've come through, do you think? Yes, and I think what's added to the problem is a lot of people are rusty, you know, from not dating. A lot of people took themselves out of the game. <laughs> Some people got addicted or, or, or are dating their sweatpants. You know, they don't want to make the effort to, you know, get dressed up and go out. Some people have gained weight and, and they feel a lack of confidence. So there are all sorts of reasons um, why during the pandemic people kind of shut down a bit. And so part of what I've been trying to encourage people to do is just take the risk to put yourself out there because if you don't put yourself out there and do the work, you're not going to meet the right person. The young lady you were speaking with earlier, you know, she was doing the work and she really put herself out there. And I'm so happy she had a happy ending. Yeah, but are you noticing at all that after COVID, there's a lot of relationships have not survived COVID. A lot of people who were married or together decided to go their separate ways or one decided, I want a huge life change. This isn't working for me. And they could be in their 50s or perhaps even 60s or older. Yep. And actually, statistics show that a lot of the divorces uh, tend to be initiated by the women, women and yeah, in, their, yeah. in their 50s and 60s. Why is that, do you think? I think it's because um, a lot of times women, unfortunately, have been socialized to take care of the men, to put other people first. And by the time they get into their 50s, they're kind of tired of that. And I hear that with every single woman who calls me over 50. They're very adamant about putting themselves first and finding someone who is a true match. And a lot of times in dating, people are so focused on attracting the other person, they don't really think about, is this person really right for me? Oh, I know, but I know know that, but just wondering about leaving a relationship that you've been in all all of your life. I mean, are they saying, now is the time for me to go because I've waited until the children were reared and they've gone off on their own lives, is it? Yes, that's a big part of it. And I think it's also just clarity. Um, There's just something about reaching middle age for a lot of women. They suddenly realize um, how important it is to really be themselves and to go after what they want. And I think what happened during COVID is a lot of people, because there is a lot more reflection time, you know, um, we were kind of forced to go inward and look within. We weren't just busy living our lives. A lot of people came to clarity 
that maybe they would have taken a few more years to do so. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do they, would you ever encourage them, it's probably not financially viable for you to do this, but would you ever encourage them to work on their relationship that at one stage they fell in love with this person um, and, uh, oh. and, and could fall back in love again? Absolutely. Um, actually, that happens all the time. You know, if I sense that the person, when they share their story, that it's really the issue is not really the relationship itself, but it's their own issues. I encourage them to get therapy because coaching is really not going to help them with that. And I, I want ultimately for someone to be happy. I know. I know, I know yeah. Well, counseling, fine. But what about just go for a date, have a romantic dinner? You know, you might reignite your relationship again. Yeah, that's true. And you can tell um, when I'm doing a consultation with somebody, you can usually tell pretty quickly that this is the issue, that it's just that they're going through their own thing. Maybe it's a midlife crisis, for example. And, you know, when, when I coach someone, I want to coach someone who needs coaching. And if they need something else, you know, I do tell them, you know, listen, I want you to be happy, and but, you know, could this be that you just need to do some inner work? And usually they all come to that realization themselves. Yeah, maybe they've made that decision before they come to you at all. I'm just suggesting that we do people throw the baby out with the bathwater too quickly, you know? I think Walk so sometimes. Yeah. So when all, when all of that is done, well, I see a text here, say, from Katie. She says, I used Elite Singles Dating Website. I paid for it. I found the love of my life on it. And very happy with the service. Is that the kind of place you would send them? You know, I, I don't know much about that particular service. I encourage people to choose the service that makes means the most, makes the most sense for them, feels right. I've heard of elite dating and I have heard a couple of people have done well on that. Mm. So, mm. you know, if somebody feels like they want to use a dating service, that's cool. But I also, I just encourage the people more than anything, use your own intuition. And that's really a big part of what I do is teaching them how to figure out what they want, what their deal breakers are and trust themselves. But if you say they need to pay for it, where do they pay? Well, typically um, I encourage people to use a dating app, you know, something like, um, you know, one of the big, I don't want to sound like I'm promoting any particular company. No, no, please name one because I don't know any of them. So I'm wondering which one is. Oh, like for example, there's, um, Match.com, for example, that's how I met my husband. It's, it's, you know, globally known and, you know, you pay a fee and it's not a, a hugely expensive. Um, and there are many, many of them out now. There's Bumble and a whole bunch of them. And I just suggest that they use a service of any kind that has a little bit of skin in the game because I, I do think that with a lot of the free ones, there are, it just encourages a lot of people who are just kind of, Messers. Looking to have fun. <laughs> you're, I know what you're saying. You're saying your tinders and your plenty of fish are just about sex. <laughs> it can be about sex. It also can just be about people who are just not really very serious about or clear that they want like a, a long-term relationship or a partner. I'm not saying that it's all those people, but it just tends to attract more of the people who aren't serious. I know what you're saying. Um, another one here. It's actually very sad that the reality of today means resorting to all of these efforts. Efforts. Free dating sites are brutal. They seem to be nothing more than a takeaway leg over. Um, so this person felt if they paid, they'd have a much better chance. Instead of mocking them, perhaps you, people should ask themselves, what kind of world we live in today that one has to resort to this to find a mate to pay an agency.
They seldom work. It's just another money-making scheme. But sad nonetheless that it has come to this in the world we live in now. Anyone decent and single uh, will um, have many disasters out there waiting for them. What do you make of that? That this is the world we live in now where traditionally you met someone, eyes locked across the room, you knew at first sight, you know? Well, um, you know, there is that, I mean, that, that's a valid way to look at it, but I also think there are, you know, that online dating, for example, could be part of the mix. I don't say that people should just do online dating or just do a dating service. They should, I think, do any kind of outreach that will expose them to more people. Americans are much more forthright about these kind of things. Uh, would you encourage somebody if they fancy somebody, say a woman, for instance, that she'd appro- she should approach the man or vice versa and, you know, exchange pleasantries, exchange phone numbers? Yes, I do think so. And because at the end of the day, if it's somebody who's turned off by that, then that's not a match for you anyway. So it's really just pays off to just be yourself. And that's the hardest thing for a lot of people, especially women, because we're trained that, oh, men won't really like that. They'll uh, think you're yeah. too forward. Yeah. You yeah. Know? yeah. And that isn't really the case. You know, that really isn't the case. It's just exactly. somebody trying to find love in a relationship. And if anybody wants to get in touch with, with you, Jean, how can they do so? And is there a cost involved? Clearly there is. Yes, there would be, um, and it really depends on the need and whether they do private or group, but they can find me at mysoulmatecoach.com, and if they want to listen in, um, I do have some uh, free webinars coming up in May. They can find on my website. I also have um, a new podcast called Dating is Such a Drag, and you can find that on YouTube and Spotify and Apple. And um, my co-host is a drag queen named Lady Portia. And we do, we do a lot of listener letters as well. And we have a lot of guest experts talking about what dating is like midlife nowadays and strategies to find the right person. Yeah, you're putting a lot into it. MySoulmateCoach.com. Did I get that right? That is correct. Okay. And how do you find Cork? Do you enjoy it here? Have you been here long? I have been. I've been in Cork for three years. I'm actually over in West Cork, and it's just a beautiful place. We love the people. We are. We've just been really welcomed here, and I'm just so glad that we we made the move. Good for you. Listen, great to chat with you. Do stay in touch. Thanks for taking the call. Thank you so much, Jean Sullivan Bellici. Uh, my soulmate dot com. Should you wish to follow up on that one, text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. We'll pick it up after the break. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. Oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Red FM. So more stories, more stories, please, from you guys out there. If you've had any luck or not with dating agencies that you've paid money to, in some cases, big money, upwards of a thousand euro. Text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Email Neil at redfm.ie. Great if you came on air, but if you want to share a story without your details being given out, that's fine by me too. Meanwhile, Marcus, good morning. I'm good. A quote from you. People that use these services have more money than sense. Why? Neil, in fairness, no one used to say, you'll be some absolute mop of snow to, to fall for it, right? Like, it's not, it's not a big red flag, one thousand draw. There's better ways of spending a thousand draw, no, Neil, than we're spending it on, on dating for... Five blind dates, Neil. You don't even know what you look like. Yeah, well, if it's a thousand euro and it's five five blind dates for people who potentially would match you and one of them would end up in a long-term relationship, it's an investment in your future, isn't it? Ah, oh, come on, no, Neil. If you're down to listen to Brian for a weekend, like, you know, the speed dating, <laughs> you know? 
You have some crack? Have you been down there? I know Neil Lodge, not my, I'm taking a man, no, like, so I, I, I can't. So it couldn't be my game. And where, where did you team up with your partner? How did that happen? Well, Neil, I met her now through my college course. You know, I, I, I socialised. I went out with my socialised, Neil, and I met her, you know? And who made the first move? For myself, like, you know? Yeah. Right, um, but, uh, yeah, but look, look, Neil, you know, look, I've no sympathy from the answer, yeah? You know, in this day and age, paying out at thousand euro for five days, like, you know, if they're sixties upwards, I have some bit of sympathy. <laughs> why? Because they're de- If they're fifty or more, why? Why do you have sympathy for them? Because they're desperate, is it? I would like to be hard for them. Like, they won't, I, I presume they won't be engaged now in social media and stuff. But like, if your talkers are talking, like you know, come on. Really so if you're fifties really or more, you're, you're not clubbing or pubbing, is it? You're not kind of. Yeah, well, like, I presume. I presume. Like, I presume you, you find a hard out there, like you know. So you have less opportunities, and that might be okay then to use a dating site that you pay yeah, for. That, like, I wouldn't be paying a thousand euro. No, like, come on, that's, that's a bit much. Do even if, like, um, even if you found the love of your life for a thousand euro, well, Sinead, how would you know? Like, <laughs> you know, like, okay. there are so, so many other avenues they could have went down. They could have went down Tinder. They could have went down Tinty Fish. They could have went down Bumble. Grinder after game. Like, you know, <laughs> I, I, that's that's. That's Alright my man Fair play to you Glad you're happy And sorted Oh yeah I'm happy man Like but that's, that's it really, really like, Thanks so Marcus Okay Appreciate it Okay You back up the text He says more money than sense Can't understand why people Would use these services In the first place Keep those texts coming Text 0868104106 Regarding uh, Tony Houlihan Moving to the department sorry, From the Department of Health Over to Trinity And the taxpayer Picking up the salary Wake up This is their way Of putting Tony to the side Before all the inquiries start Having him out of sight and out of mind. Every Irish politician is akin to a Russian oligarch, says Dennis. Every politician is akin to a Russian oligarch. Every politician in Ireland is corrupt, as is the Garda Shikana and the courts. That's Dennis's opinion on it. Stephen Donnelly was praising the new post, yet he knew nothing of it and said that even being in Trinity, the taxpayer pays both places. Um, same old nonsense, these top civil servants seeing after their own while people struggle to survive. I believe, says Mike, that Tony Hulahan should have been kicked out years ago because of the cervical cancer scandal. He was the one who wanted to put a lid on the cervical cancer cover-up and silence Vicky Phelan. He should be held accountable, never mind be given these extra opportunities at Trinity College. Vicky and all the other ladies and mothers did not get a glimpse of opportunities for their lives. Thank you for those. Back to the phone lines. Bernadette, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Good. Do you have thoughts on this? I do, indeed, yeah. I, I suppose, like many others, I, I would love to know who signed off, first of all, from the Department of Health on the Tony Houlihan post. We're bound um, to, to find that out sooner or later, though. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I think it's a really important one because I think we, we need clarity and absolute transparency on this. Because we're kind of uh, technically we are- now paying for two chief medical officers. Well, well, yes, te- technically that, that seems to be the case um, and uh, that totally is not acceptable. It wouldn't be acceptable for the taxpayer. And certainly as well, we need clarity in relation to why Trinity College are not paying a euro towards this post. Totally. And not paying uh, the yeah, whole ab- lot. Well, yeah, absolutely. As would be the norm in, the, I mean, they in are, these cases. They are charging fees for those to go to the college, aren't they? Well, they absolutely are and will be to, to students that, that he'll be lecturing. 
Um, you know, I mean, suppose the, the other the other side of it is that when you sort of look at the um, top professors um, salary in, in Trinity, you know, that, that's easily found as, as a pay scale. Uh, you look, look online. Um, this post or, or his, his 187 is 30,000 more than what the top professor has been paid in. Is it really? Is it really? Um, and yeah, I mean, look, looking, if you look at the pay scales, you look at the human resources there on the Trinity College from the 1st of February 2022. And I think the professor in Trinity is 157,613. And Hulan goes so, over there for 187. Do you ever think that, do you ever compare the public sector and how the private sector would deal with something like this? You, you make an interesting question. You say no, or make a comment. You say, no one continues to be paid for a job that they have left. Well, well absolutely. maybe you're looking at through the eyes of the private sector. Well, <laughs> I'm looking at it into what is the reality. Um, I mean, I don't know. Do you? Do you know anyone who's paid for their job that they've left? I mean, this is a now. Well, well, it's like it's like paying somebody for their job um, when they move to another job. Exactly. I mean, the the other really important point we need clarity on this is any secondment is for a particular period of time. And it's a stress period of time. Even in civil service, it'll be six months, up to two years, for example. But in this case, this is an open-ended secondment. So that means that the Irish taxpayer could be paying for this post for the next 20 years. And why doesn't it come before Cabinet, something like this, before it's signed off, where the most powerful politicians, Taoiseach, Tánaiste, relevant ministers, would see it? discuss it and decide on it first rather than well, now all saying I was in the dark I knew nothing I know nothing about it well absolutely I mean this this was a jaw dropping thing when, when I heard this and I'm sure for many other people your listeners um, is that the Taoiseach of the country the leader of the country did not know about this arrangement put but a call into shocking. the Taoiseach's office this morning I also put a call into Simon Coveney and uh, I've had no response from either of them at this point and they're the questions that I had wanted to put to them um, yeah, yeah, it's really, really important. Now, Stephen Donnelly, the Minister for Health, didn't sign off on this either. So my question, again, another one would be, who's running the country in Ireland? Is it the top civil service or is it the government? Because I think it's about time that we really started to look at that. But you know very well that it's the public sector and the senior civil servants that run the country. I, I, I do. Time I after do. time, I talked to TDs, either current yeah. or former, who were just absolutely frustrated at the way Leinster House was run. Yes, yes. So the position is at the moment that such a role could be created, by the way, uh, as has been stated by Trinity, with Dr. Hulan in mind. So therefore, this is a created post. You think that it was created with him in mind? Well, they, that's, that's what was said, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. Here, here is um, a text from a public sector official. Please don't give my details. I work within the public sector. When creating a new post in the public sector... You must make a business case and present it to the department's authority. If it gets approval or sanction, it goes for internal recruitment. If no candidate is found internally, it goes to external recruitment. When a candidate is selected, it goes back to the authority to approve the appointment of X person to X job. Nowhere in that text does it ever mention that a politician or the government has to sign off on it. It's all within the public sector itself. Within the public sector, but you can see there's a procedure. And equally, if something's created with somebody's in mind, where does that leave then 
um, the opportunity for other people to, to apply for something. What we're asking for here, I think, it's the general public, and which we have a right to know, is clarity and transparency on this. The department must say who signed off on it, why they did, why the post was created, why Trinity College is not paying for this post, why it's an open-ended post, and which there's no date, there's no end date in mind for this post. These are really, really important questions. Because somebody else has to be hired to do the job that he was doing as the CMO for the same money, 187 grand. Okay, good well, questions. And you really, you really did sum up the questions very well. Thank you, Bernadette. Thanks for taking the call. thank you very much for your time, Neil. Take okay, care. just one or two more there from yesterday's conversations with regards to invisible carers in the home. I'm a single parent, full-time carer of a non-verbal, severe to profound, epileptic, fully dependent in every aspect 12 and a half year old boy. My story is very similar to the other parents and carers you've spoken to on air. It's a constant battle for carers like us, for services, for school placement, for respite, for home support. Why is it a constant battle for the basic needs for our loved ones? It's full 24-7-365, says Katrina Crowley. How do you feel, Katrina, then, when you hear of uh, jobs being created for people and then the job that they left has to be filled by another person who has to come in and do it for the very same money. Could you imagine the amount of services you would get for €187,000 a year? Speaking about disabilities, people on full-time disability are in such a state you have no idea. I'm on full-time disability. I get €234 a week for me and my 17-year-old boy. So trust me, it's food or heat and selecting which bills to pay. Disability should be a minimum of €300 a week just to survive. I would be too embarrassed to go on air, says Patrick. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. How could they pluck a figure of €350 as a pop payment for people to survive when you have to survive all of the time on €234 a week for you and your son? Why was 350 for the pop payment deemed to be an acceptable level and why isn't 350 euro a week being paid to all of those on disability or all of those who are full-time carers text 0868104106 Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 All right. Cork's Red FM. Just very quickly, I was chatting there earlier in the week with uh, Liam O'Higgin about, uh, you know, times gone by, some lovely texts on this. One of the things that I mentioned myself, actually, was the times when, when as kids, you would bring back glass bottles to the local shop and you'd get a couple of pence for them. The more you... Lucasade bottles, for instance, were a big earner. Uh, I'm on to you about the years ago in relation to bringing glass bottles back to the shop. I remember that all too well. I used to collect all the milk glass bottles on my avenue collect them or steal them the milk glass bottles on my avenue returned them to the local shop I collected the money from the shopkeeper and returned oh fair play to you I returned it to the neighbours and I'd get a bag of sweets once a week from them happy days there's now an incentive in the Netherlands where they are now using a universal bottle for beer the people actually return the bottles to an automated return point in the supermarkets And they receive a credit note from the machine that can be put towards anything they like. The return bottles are then sent to a production plant where they are boil jet washed for the labels to be removed, 
sterilized, inspected for reuse, and then sent to the production plant for recycling and reuse. Now, I get that because that's fabulous where people get credit notes to spend in the supermarket. We recycle glass, obviously. We do big time. Everybody's recycling. But you don't actually get any credit notes for it. So I like that. And then one of the other games from way back in the day was Runaway Knock. Neil, you need to get with the time. It's not Runaway Knock anymore. It's called Ding Dong Ditch. As in, run away after ringing the doorbell. It's not knockers anymore, it's doorbells. Ding, dong, ditch. You learn something new every day, back after 11. I'm Rory. And I'm Valerie, and you can join us for the very best in local, national and international sport every weekend on The Big Red Bench. That's The Big Red Bench, every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Right. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. It's mental busy, so I'm going to come back to calls and stuff. Let me just do a little bit of housekeeping, if you will. Uh, more tickets for Riverdance between now and midday today. A pair of tickets for Riverdance live at the Marquee, Friday, June the 3rd. It's the 25th anniversary show, live at the Marquee, and you can book tickets yourself directly. But we have another pair to give away between now and midday. Riverdance is to do with water, and the theme, obviously, is aquatic. So these three songs, artists and titles again today, in the correct order, all have something to do with rain, uh, water, rain. Okay, uh, Here they are, different decades. I hope it doesn't present any kind of a problem for you, but artists and titles, not now, but when I open the phone lines around about 10 to midday. Raindrops keep falling on my head. to get out to the end. And it feels like all right, straightforward enough. The first one, what film was that from? Was it Butch Cassidy? The raindrops keep falling on my head. Must have get out to the end. And it feels like oh. Okay, those three, correct order, please. Uh, pick up the phone. Riverdance tickets on 0818104106. As well as that, 15,000 euro, your opportunity to spend 15 grand uh, if you're getting married or getting hitched. So five grand. We'll get you suited and booted thanks to Best Menswear. Five grand for the wedding dress of your dreams from Cinderella's Closet. And five grand on jewellery of your dreams at Michelle the Jewellers. Okay? So, what we've done here is we have put a, an entire list of first dance wedding songs on the Red FM website, www.redfm.ie. Go there. Pick one of those songs. Enter your details and stay listening. That's all you got to do. I'll be playing another wedding song just before midday today. If it's your chosen song, again, on the phone, 0818104106, there's a 15,000 euro prize on that one. Uh, meanwhile, thank you so much to everybody that holds. Sometimes it's way too long. Josephine, good morning. Good morning, me. Sorry I didn't get to you before 11. I just I ran out of time. You, you say, um, and this is just one line from your text, people deserve what they get. What do you mean? Yeah, I truly believe. Well, because basically, if there was an election tomorrow, Neil, the same shower will get back in. You yeah. know it and I know it. Well, I wonder, it might be, the combo might be different. It might be, listen, it might be Fianna Fáil, Sinn Féin in coalition, but the same characters, you think? The policies, will, they won't change. It's dynasty politics. They've been around forever. It's family. My brother-in-law, my sister-in-law, you know, it's, it's never going to change. Do you think that? Do you think? But do you think that Jack Lynch or De Valera or Michael Collins or any of them would put up with a, 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 a government minister with seven advisors? Like, like um, a posse actually, of fellas walking Damon around. Damon Ryan has eight advisors, oh, but, but I'm actually done. 
Yeah. All right. You're right. Yeah. But actually, it's not important to what they'd put up with us. What we're putting up with is what matters. And we are the people that pay them. Mm. And they are meant to be answerable to us. And, and time, after time after time, they're found wanting, are they? Whether it's this they're, case with Tony Hoonan or Golfgate or um, Zapongate. Yeah. Yeah. The yeah, cervical cancer smear scandal. Yeah. Yep. There you have it there now. Tony Hoolahan is, is being given a new job, which we'll pay for, and then we have to pay for his replacement. Mm. Right, so, and all these jobs would all come with big, huge, gold-plated Apparently, apparently it's, it's fairly common in the public sector, this movement around and secondment from job to job or department yeah. to department or, in yeah. this case, out of a department into a college. We don't know the half of it, I'd say, you know? Yeah, but, well, I mean, if they're, they're coming out and telling us we have a... We have a, a crisis in the HSC. HSC. We've a million people on waiting lists. You know, we have undiagnosed cancers from the pandemic when people couldn't see a doctor, which, by the way, you can't really get to see one now either. Um, and we're, my point is, is we're tolerating it. The Irish people are tolerating this. It's going on for years. It's getting worse. Look at the housing situation. It's well, you have housing, that. you have rent, you have a broken yeah. health system, you have a system that doesn't allow people to... Um, uh, get help when they're caring for a full time on a full time basis for a loved one in the home, saving yep. the state yep. tens of thousands a year at least in every family. Yeah. Yeah. Well, last year, last year I buried my brother Tony. I was on tube him. His wife had left her job in the hospital per- temporarily to care for him when he was given five months to live. She was turned down for carers allowance. Would you believe that? Now we had to fight to get that for her, and ultimately. He lasted five months, and now she's gone back to work. But this is what the state done to that girl. A good Christian woman that cared for her husband at home, mm. wouldn't put him into a... He, she, he wouldn't go into um, Mary Mount because he wanted to die at home in her arms, mm. and that's what happened. Mm. But they refused that girl carers allowance. But can I bring up the housing situation? Yes. What's going on here now in the housing situation, OK? Mm. You can't talk about it now because you're called a racist. And you can't talk about it. But we've our own young people, my own son, working full time, good, good job, good money. Himself, fiance and four-year-old are facing the streets in a few weeks. Now, she works too. They can't find anywhere to rent. What they can find is, you want. I mean, really, realistically, the money they're asking for rents is gone beyond a joke. Mm. Quarter of the landlords are TDs. I want people to know that. One quarter of those 160 people in there sitting there making decisions for us are landlords. And you think they shouldn't be, is it, or what? Well, some of them have up to four properties rented out. So are they going to make a change, you know, that's going to affect their pocket, are they? I'm starting to see more... I'm starting to get more contact now from landlords who are fed up with being vilified just because they're landlords. You know, that Uh, they're they're saying to me things like... Yes, we have property. Yeah. We work hard to get the property yeah. or whatever the case may be. And they're quite entitled to that. Yeah. And my son's landlord is quite entitled to move back into his property. No one is disputing that. That's that man's property. They're great tenants. He, he said he'd look out for them with references. They're not looking for anything for nothing. They're both working. I went around yesterday and I could call out four houses that are sitting idle. One of them is like sitting there for years with boards up in it. Yeah, I know. I rang the council and I said, what's, you know, there's people out there now are desperate. There's a house up on the north and side and there's a tree growing in the porch. It's there that long. Yep. Yeah. 
Now, I went around and they can tell you and there's there's some down the road from me. So they're the public and authority the, ones. Is he on a list? Public authority housing sitting there, boarded up. Is he on a list? Oh, of course they're on the list, yeah. Long time? Of course they're on the list. Well, about five years, but oh, according to them, that's not enough. Like. You need to be 10 to 14 years on a on Cork City or yeah. County housing list. Can you believe that? Yeah. 10 to 14 years? 10 to 14 years. And you see, you can't talk about it then because if you if you give out about we're welcoming in people, unfortunate people, which we have to help, I suppose, as well. But you can't talk about it because you're called a racist. But we've our own young people, and my son's generation, in their mid-30s now, need to be out in the streets now, demanding accountability here. Mm. Because they can't afford to buy a house because of the rents they're paying, so they can't get a deposit. Mm. So now they're out in the streets. Basically, they're out in the streets now, very soon. But will that be the case, or will will family have to jump in and help them? Family will help them as best they can, but there's one part of the family, unfortunately, isn't well at the moment. So, you know. So will they present easy, as easy. homeless then and get a hotel or B and B, or will they be told to split up and he'll be told to go to Simon and she'll be told to go to yeah. Coon Lee or Edel House or something? Well, God only knows, but it shouldn't be happening, you know. Like, they're young young people, they're working, as I said, they're not looking for anything for free, mm. and they're genuinely trying to find somewhere to live, trying to find, save or deposit to buy their own, but they can't, they're caught in a catch-22, mm. and there's no way out. And we're, we're just welcoming in people that we have to help, I understand that, but the magic money tree can find money for marginal homes all of a sudden. Yeah. yeah. We couldn't do it for our own all along. The situation has been left to get to a critical point. It hasn't been helped either by the amount of college campus accommodation that's built. That seems to be um, that seems to be very attractive to investors, doesn't yeah. it? To build huge, big um, accommodation blocks for students. Yeah. Yeah. You see, they're not focusing on families anymore. It's all. It's all. It's it's money. It's greed. That's what it is. Do you ever think we we'll reach a time where? Do you ever think we'd reach a time where the city centre and all of the streets off it, your Patrick Street, your Grand Parade, your South Mall, North Main Street, South Main Street, George's Key, all those areas, people would be living above above all of those shops and properties again? Because they're all, by and large, empty. Yeah, I know. Because they one time, remember, you could get a bed set, but then it's all EU regulations now. Oh, but you, like, isn't it an awful waste of property, though? Oh, absolutely. Like That's it, from my point. If yeah. you could get the city to be a living city where people lived and if it was safe, that is. Yeah. Not the safest city in the world, I understand that. But where it would be yeah. safe to raise a family and raise children, have parks there for them and, you know, where they would move around in the city as their home. Yeah. Well, look, we, it's, it's not going to happen. You know it and I know it. Not, not when you have a quarter of who's up there making the decisions are the very people that are making the money out of it, you know. Okay. Not just the normal landlord, the guy that worked hard and we're not on about these these guys because as I said, their landlord is a lovely guy and he's you know, but he, he And what will they just finally Josephine, what will have they been out viewing houses, homes, oh, yeah. properties? Yeah, yeah. It's like there's hundreds hundreds queuing up outside. They're pulling up in taxis. Um there's like every different nationality, obviously, because we're a melting pot now. Mm. But they're and they're not getting answers to emails, and I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what they're going to do. As I said, and the council have no answers. I mean, these are working people that are willing to pay rent, and you know, 
and they don't care. They have to oh, the properties aren't up to scratch. We can't hand them out. And there's a big long list. Worrying times for your family. Thanks for taking the call, Josephine. I hope no it works out. Take care. Interesting Thanks. letter Thanks. from Sean actually says, um, uh, I said I'd write this letter in total respect to all concerned, but uh, I have to say it nonetheless. I met, he says, I met a tradesman in the last few days who works long hours and has to travel to wherever his work takes him. He said he had to wait until the end of the month to get paid in order to put tyres on his van. The point I'm making, I suppose, is the difference between our accidental Taoiseach who's heading up a leaderless makeshift lastminute.com government. Remember, his constituents spoke clearly when it took him to the seventh count to get elected and obtained the second worst result in Fianna Fáil in its entire history. Yet he is acting like a spoilt child that, um, you know, saw it there with regards to his trip to Washington. Uh, this goes to prove that these so-called country visitations are nothing more than junkets for the boys and in their own personal interest, and not in the interest of the state. He just wanted to meet Biden. But we're told it's to drum up business and tourism. Look at the difference of the genuine self-employed taxpayer and our accidental Taoiseach. This is the man who, with his colleagues in government, bankrupted our great country, and as a result, the taxpayer is now having to pay an extra 8% of their gross wages making us the third highest personally taxed individuals in the world. And all this appears to be forgotten. State cars have been reintroduced, and I note they are not electric. When Bertie O'Hearn's regime came under pressure, 15 of the 18 junior ministers said they would step down, knowing that there was no need for them in the first place. Now we have 23 junior ministers. The Irish people have to realise that this is our excellent civil servants that continue to run the country. And these so-called politicians come and go, but the civil servants continue to serve and do their great work. How many advisors do all of these geniuses have? And again, it's jobs for their pals. One would look sweet, wouldn't they? Starting a new job in the morning and turning up with 10 or 11 guys behind you to help you to do the job that you're supposed to be fit to do yourself. It's a joke. And the genuine Irish people sit back, sit back and take all of this lying down. After all, it was De Valera and McQuaid that kept the great, great country back for so many years and made women feel like second-class citizens. Michal Martin is now carrying on regardless in his own selfish way at the expense of the Irish taxpayer. Look at his pension pot. Did anybody ever question how this was put in place and what were his actual contributions made like all of us taxpayers have to make? for any kind of a pension. We're being told about world energy issues, yet there was never forward planning done here to put hydro in place. The carb field is supplying 40% of our gas needs. There's oil off the coast and no encouragement to bring it ashore and make us a self-sufficient country. We're an agricultural country producing for a limited market. Land is not fully utilised to its max. And then we unnecessarily import all that we need and could grow here. Shame on politicians. What do we get? Spiralling costs, out of control, greater wage demands, a total lack of competitiveness, which will be the cause of a major recession here if it's not here already. Time the great Irish people stand up for their rights, says Sean. By email to neil at redfm.ie. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 106.
Cork's Red FM. Okay, uh, we did our wedding abroad and just asked for family and friends to attend. We asked for no gifts and did not expect any. I think it's a huge ask to ask them to join you abroad and demand a present as well. We also helped them to find accommodation on a budget if they needed it or wanted it. We invited 150 100 made it from all over the world and we had a fantastic three-day event, says Annette. That's another thing. When did weddings become three-day events? I mean, I thought that they were long enough or too long when you turned up at two o'clock and you were there till two in the morning. Never mind the next morning. And I suppose you have to be up at the crack of dawn the next day to go to some kind of a wedding breakfast. I'm actually curious as to know, is it okay to turn up to a wedding with no gift, says Sinead. I had a lot of people not have the decency to give a gift, but didn't mind eating and drinking for free. And that also includes some of our bridal party, who, of course, we went all out for. (laughs) You had guests at your wedding who brought no gift. My mother's, my mother's best friend had a wedding in France as the groom was French. And it was the best week ever. We couldn't have asked for anything better. It may cost extra, but it was more than worth it. The beautiful bride was happy and had the best time. And that's all that matters, says Casey. In spite, in spite, keep the bride happy in spite of what it might cost your guests to get there to Spain or to the south of France or to Turkey or Greece or wherever you're having the wedding. Angela says, I've only been to one wedding abroad a few years back. My cousin got married. We went as a family and made it our holiday for that year. And we enjoyed it immensely. I didn't see it as a dreaded expense, as you describe it, as we made it our holiday. No different to a wedding here. And gave a gift the same as we would have if she got married at home. But what about all of the poor old businesses that actually survive on weddings? The hotels, the wedding planners, the bands, the cars, the flowers and the food and everything that goes with it. And you've taken your wedding off to Spain to support the Spanish economy. So keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. I came across a girl called Kaz who has uh, an Instagram page, page called Irish Budgeting Journey. Does a lot of different things, but one aspect of her life actually did involve her wedding. I had great fun going through her different hacks and tips as to how to save money. Uh, but just on the, let's start with the wedding aspect of it. Kaz, good morning. Good morning. How are you, Neil? I'm well. So you did you did a, bu- a budget wedding, was it? I did, yeah. I did a big wedding, but on a small budget. Okay. And uh, obviously they can cost north of 30 grand, right? What did yours cost? Seven. Mm-hmm. It cost seven grand. How would you keep it down? Um, so we booked midweek. Um, that was a massive saving. And we also haggled with the hotel to get that price down even more. Right. So a midweek um, wedding would be like, what, your Tuesday or your Wednesday, is that kind of thing? Yeah, we picked a Wednesday, yeah. Okay. And we picked a date that we knew wouldn't be popular. So and we how much would sure that drop, say, the wedding prices against, a, is it 50% cheaper, 20, 30, what? Yeah, it, it was, so our meal cost 29 per person and it was 39 per person. So, All right. um it was a good saving now for the entire party, you know. Okay. What else did you manage to get coming in economically below budget? So we got um, my wedding dress. So um, instead of spending a couple of thousand on that, I paid um, 250 euro. Um, I got Where'd you get the it? Exact same. I got it on eBay. <laughs> I have a photograph um, I, of it in front of me. It's stunning. Yeah. Yeah, it's still a, it's the designer dress I found in the shop for brand new. Um, I just found somebody who had already bought it for their wedding and 
and they dry cleaned it and everything for me for 250 And how much would that designer dress have been new off the peg? It would have been um, just under 2,000 euro. So you got a 2,000 euro once worn for 250 Yeah. yeah. And when it's dry clean, there's no difference. It was pristine, absolutely pristine. There wasn't a mark on it. Okay, you're well on your way now. So we got the dress. What, have, what about all of the other aspects of the wedding? Yeah, so we got um, friends and family to gift us if they had um, a skill or if they knew somebody that did something. Um, like you were saying, they're promoting um, businesses. Um, like, for instance, uh, my friend's uh, aunt was a florist, so um, she was promoting her flowers. Um, I had another friend do our makeup. Um, we had people in our family gift us things instead of money. So um, our wedding cake was gifted and even our honeymoon was gifted. <laughs> Who gifted you your honeymoon? <laughs> My grandparents did. So that did was they? Very nice and where did yeah. you go? We went to Spain. For what, a week, a fortnight? Uh, two weeks. Um, we were lucky enough uh, they had a place to stay there. So it was the flights. Um, but yeah, it was... a. Uh, Big gift. So they them. had the they had the apartment and they paid for the flights because yeah. you were saying yeah. that an average spend on a honeymoon is twenty seven hundred per person. Yeah, yeah. So like it, it was a massive saving, you know. And I hear tell as well. Do the brides pay for the bridesmaids' dresses, Kaz? Yeah, they do. Yeah. Okay. So we we saved one on that as well. We actually, um, I found a website. Um, a Chinese website, and I ordered um, the bridesmaid dresses from that. And they, they probably arrived the size of a Barbie doll dress, did they? Now, I did a lot of research, and I got all the dresses two sizes bigger, and they were perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and were the, were the bridesmaids happy with 30 yeah. euro dress? You got the four of them for 30 euro. Three of them, Three yeah. of them. Are you joking Three. me? Yeah, yeah. And so we were able to alter them if they needed altered or anything else. You know, like it was, the saving was worth it. Um, I made sure they were happy with them and everything like okay, that. Okay, okay. Well. <laughs> <laughs> were, they, were they pretty, like, were they nice? Yeah, they were lovely um, bridesmaid dresses. They were fully lined and everything. What colour were they? They even had boning. Um, they were light blue. Oh, that's a nice colour because sometimes the bridesmaids' yeah. dress colours can be fairly shocking. They can. <laughs> they wouldn't have worn them if they were shocking. <laughs> oh, okay, they would have gone on strike. What about yeah. pictures and photographs, the photographer? Yeah, so we didn't really scrimp too much on the photographer because that's the thing you still have after the wedding. Um, so it was really important to me um, to not scrimp too much. But we did find a photographer... Um, that was only kind of starting out. So um, she charged a little bit less than a lot of them. Some of them charge, um, you could be looking at 6,000 euros. Oh my, for what? For videographers. I was was budgeting, I was thinking in my head, a thousand. Yeah. Six? (laughs) Yeah. What are they filming like? It's not an episode of Game of Thrones. Like what's going on? (laughs) Six grand. Yeah, they could come with an army. Like uh, they could have six of them. You know, like all the angles. She <laughs> so really have earned the title of Ireland's thriftiest bride. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> is that what you do? Is that what you do online? Because you you um yeah. you you started your own Instagram page, 
Um, and you say in it, we saved 15,000 in one year on a low income. How? Yeah, so um, we we basically just lived off one income. Um, we, we were both on very low incomes, um, but we just lived off the one income for the year. Okay, how many um, in the family now are we talking about? There's At the time there was four, there's five of us now, um, but there was four of us at the time. So we were still paying for childcare, um, we were still paying for all the normal bills, um, we just lived on much less. Um, so we were just very careful with our money. Um, so were both of you working? Yeah, but at the time both of us were working um, on lower incomes, but we were doing every side hustle we could. So we were trying to bring in extra money, we were selling things, um, we were trying to pick up bargains, you know, everything we could do just to get that money in um, because that was our house deposit. Um, and the 15 and grand then was the deposit on a home, was it? Yeah, yeah. And um, what tips are you giving people online? So I, I give all sorts of tips. Um, I give tips how to make money, um, save money. I also give tips on how to um, do your food shop for less. Yeah, I, lo- um, I love I this part where you say five meals for under a fiver, as in yeah. a fiver per meal, is it? No. Nope. All five for the fiver. You're joking me. So, yeah, yeah. So all five of us will be fed for a fiver or under. So, so five in the family can be fed a yeah. full dinner for under yeah. a fiver. Yeah. One of them is, which I'd eat every day if I could get it, the sausage casserole. That sounds yeah. for four euro <laughs> sixty six. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. And what's that? Yeah, called? Oh, I know there are sausages in that. What else? There's potatoes, uh, mixed beans, shallots, carrots, and tomato puree in that one. Okay. There's a chili dish, minced beef. This would be like a con carne, would it? Yeah, yeah, chili con carne. Yeah. Um, and there's mixed minced beef in that um, basmati rice, uh, passata beans. And then some carrots and parsnips, just to what's up pa- your veg forgive me. What's passata? What is that? See if I like it. It's um, like a sieved uh, tomato, sieved like chopped tomato. And that meal, buying it in the supermarket, bits and pieces, and putting it together is four ninety one for five people. Yeah, it is. Yeah, so it's less than a euro a person. Uh, any other tips then? Yeah. So um, I teach people uh, how to like um, save money in, in different ways like maybe cancelling subscriptions things you mightn't have thought of you know um, especially with like the likes of Netflix has now gone up um, you know I don't know about you but I before I started all this I direct them it's coming out all over the place um, and just having a look at it um, and then the other thing—it's big is, ask um, for somebody to cancel their Netflix, though, isn't it, or cancel their Sky? <laughs> I, you know, I would what pleasure will I have in life without them? <laughs> it's about prioritizing what you um, really want. Um, so we just cut down to one instead of having so many. Um, I think you shouldn't get rid of everything. Okay, um, Do you, you're a big believer in shopping lists. I think are you? Yeah, I love shopping lists. I love planning. <laughs> um, yeah. And also shopping your cupboards before you go to the shop. See what you have already 
and look in the big chest freezer and see what's at the bottom of it um, before you go. And you know, if you're doing that all of the time, it's not long before you start to see a difference money-wise. Using yeah. up what you have, going through the freezer, checking the cupboards and the larders and stuff. You say, t- pack your lunch instead of eating out. You're, you're asking yeah. people to be very frugal and take away all of the lovely things they like to do. Meeting a friend for yeah. a, a sandwich or a, a plate yeah. of food. Yeah, like a lot of people, they just, they don't have a choice right now. Like it's a real crisis, the cost of living right now. Um, like we, we are a single income now, um, our family of five, and um, we would be on a low to moderate income. And we've no choice but to live like this. Um, and I'm getting messages every day from people who are the very same and like absolutely heartbreaking messages, actually. And um, it's just it's a real crisis. Um, and I'm just I kind of hope by putting out some tips and trying to keep it a little lighthearted if I can. Yeah. Um, it will help some people out there because it's su- it is such a heavy subject. You um, are feeding your entire family, the five of you. Seven days yeah. of the week for under 35 yeah. euro. Yeah. You've taken your heating off timer and switch it on only when it needs be. You're yeah. saying, um, you know, constantly switch around and shop around your electric, your gas, your phones, your internet. Oh, they're all expensive now. I don't know how switching and make any difference anymore now. <laughs> um, you know, you're, you're talking about using shopping lists, you know. Yeah. A cut down. Like, you know, if you need to do a lot of different shopping or errands, do them all together yeah, in the one run. Trying to do them in the one run, yeah, because the fuel cost was just so high. What's it's cash? What is, what is cash stuffing? So what I do um, that really helps me stay on budget is I take out um, the cash for each category. So if you do I what? You have categories. Is that what you said, sir? Category, yeah. So if I'm going to take out a certain amount for food for that paycheck, I'm, I'm going to take it out in cash and keep it in cash. Um, then I can't go over budget in food. Um, and then I do the same for diesel. I do the same for eating out, um, anything like that. Personal, um, I think it's important to put some aside just for you. Mm. Um, all the different categories. Um, and then you can't overspend, you know, like you're not going to go and get a takeaway if there's nothing left to take away from. You so know? You, didn't, you wouldn't have a debit card or a credit card or an overdraft, would you? Because they are the things that we dip into. Yeah, I do have them, but I don't use them um, for that, really. Um, I just use them to get out the cash um, in the first place. So every paycheck I'll go out and um, I'll have done a budget before I go out and decide what I'm going to put into each category. Categorise it, put the cash aside yeah. for each one of them. What about the unexpected yeah. bill, though? Do you not get sideswiped? So I have or have you got a sinking fund? fund? Yeah, I have an emergency fund. So um, I, that's the first thing I would uh, suggest to everyone if they were starting out from the very beginning is to just start putting a little bit aside. Um, and it takes a long time. Like I, I have a thousand euro just put in a, a separate savings account that I can access at any time. Right. And if the unexpected comes up, I won't be tempted to use a credit card or get into debt. Yeah. Do you manage to go on holidays or weekend breaks or, you know, anything like yeah, that? Buy so clothing? I, I create sinking funds for them. Um, I put them a little bit of money aside each time just for those um, and slowly build it up. So, for example, my daughter needs braces this year. So we're saving constantly for that. 
Um, we have secondary school starting this year, so that's been put aside as well. Christmas, birthdays, all of them. And we don't, like, um, we, we obviously are frugal as much as we can be, but we still, have, you know, we, we're living, we're, you know, living like everybody else trying yeah. to... But are the rest of the family on board with this? Like, the kids must be looking yeah. for mobile phones or Playstations. They must be looking for new runners and stuff, you know, expensive so, um, things like that. My kids are so on board that they have their own envelopes and, <laughs> and they go and give <laughs> eggs to some of our neighbours. We have chickens. And is that one of your side hustles, is it? <laughs> That's one of their side hustles. They go around and they get a couple of euro and my son nearly has a computer saved for, um, which he's <laughs> so proud of. He's at 700 euro. Um, what, flogging eggs to the neighbours, is it? Not just eggs, obviously. Um, but yeah, it's taken him a long time. He's been out of years now. Um, but I think it's so important to show your kids like your own financial journey because you'd be surprised how much they learn, they pick up on. Yeah, yeah. You're an accountant at heart, I think, are you? <laughs> I was an account technician, yeah, years yeah, ago. Yeah, <laughs> I thought something like that. Where are you based? Where are you based? I'm in the Midlands here. Okay, so a lot of the side hustle ideas then, um, you know, yeah. you, you talk about a good side hustle is just sell everything that you don't want because there's, there's always yeah. someone will buy it. Yeah, there is. There's all, Another man's junk is another person's treasure, you know. Yeah. And, yeah. and sometimes even a little lick of paint, you know, it will bring it right up. Um, you know, you talk about, and I know this from experience because my son is a demon for this. You know, these paid surveys that you can do yeah. to eat things, <laughs> yeah. to drink things, to get wired yeah. up in a gym. They pay big money, you know. They do, yeah. They really do. Yeah. Like you could sign up to do something over an eight week course uh, and they give you a grand for it. Now, a grand to yeah. a 28 year old is a lot of money. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's all sorts of things online. Um, it just takes a bit of finding them. Um, like, for instance, like I actually uh, taste-tested fizzy drinks yesterday, and so, that's 40 euro. <laughs> you know, like, How does that work? It was a blind test, is it? Yeah, you blind test it, yeah. <laughs> um, and, you know, that took, like, five minutes. You know, that's quick 40 euro. Where did you um, go to get that, though? Did you have to sign up for something? Yeah, you have to sign up. So that, that for example, was Wiki Flavor. Um, but there's lots of different little websites, Um there's a whole community of us um, on Instagram and YouTube and we share a lot of um, the different places that you can get these extra bits. Um, but they all add up, like every single euro, a lot add up. Um, especially when you can see you can get a meal for five euro, you know? That's right. And listen, all of those meals are up online on your page. How's the page going for you? Nearly 7,000 followers. How long is it up? Yeah, it's only up uh, three and a half months. So there's definitely a, a thirst for it, I think, at the moment. I just hit the right time. Um, but yeah, only there three and a half months. Um, so it's been a crazy, crazy little time. Good luck with it. I, I just I just love all of that. I really do. It's so interesting. And, and the food is just amazing. You know, again, I'm back to this. And a lot of it is, um, you know, coming in at 470 uh, what else am I looking at here? Four sixty-six meal for five in the yeah. family, under thirty-five euro the week, and all delicious. You also have a thing called yeah. fake away fish and chips. 
Yeah, like you don't have to do every meal um, for five euro, but even if you you added one or two, you know the cost savings would be massive. But it can be. The point is, it can be done. It can be done. Yeah. Fair play to you. Fair play. Thanks. Well, listen, it's lovely chatting with the Kaz. Good luck. I might stay in touch with you in the future. You never know. Irish Budgeting Journey on Instagram, right? Yeah, and on YouTube, yeah. All right, well done. Lots of videos as well. Cheers, Kaz. Take care. That's brilliant. Thank you, Neil. Bye. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818 so what are the kind of things that Kaz is saying? Well, she mentioned cancelling subs- subscriptions you don't need. Change where you shop. Do all of your errands or all of the messages and everything that you need to do in the one trip. And that will save you on fuel, I suppose. Take your heating off timer. Uh, pack your lunch instead of eating out every day. Batch cook meals uh, and keep batch cooked meals in the freezer. And that will help you to resist takeaway temptation because Deliveroo is only a phone call away or a click of a mouse. Uh, Decide whether a purchase is wanted or needed. Have a list. Um, Leave the purchase for 24 hours and still see in 24 hours if you still want to buy it. Uh, Make lists. Uh, Only bring the cash you have for food budget to stop from overspending. Use the calculator on your phone to add up the prices as you go around the shop. Never shop while hungry. (laughs) Here's another one. Leave the husband at home. He'd be putting all sorts into the trolley, she says. And all those videos and recipes are up how to feed five people for a fiver. Then there are the side hustles, and she's got 50 of them up there. Like selling things you no longer need. It could be clothing, it could be furniture, it could be electrical, it could be anything, garden stuff. Uh, Take part in paid surveys. You could become a mystery shopper. You could take up house pet or babysitting. You could offer grinds, assuming you were capable of giving a grind in anything. So there are some of the side hustles. It's all there for you. Anyway, your thoughts then on that and lots more besides. Text 0868-104-106. Pick up the phone. Just before I love you and leave you for the day that's in it, I'll do this now and then just finish up because I have one more bit of business that I want to get to. This is worth Two Riverdance tickets uh, for the gig on Friday, June 3rd, live at the Marquee. So Riverdance, of course, to do with water and what have you. And the three songs all have to do with water in the shape of rain. So artists and titles, please, in the right order. Okay, artists and titles. We'll take caller number 10 uh, on 0818 Tickets for Riverdance. Raindrops keep falling on my head. I must have get out to the end. And it feels like all right, get Dolly now, 0818-104-106. Last bit of business this morning. Um, it was the Metropole's loss, but photos gain. When the one and only John Coleman moved as concierge of the Metropole to concierge, concierge of Photo Island Resort, Resort and has recently won his Golden Keys. I wonder what they are. John, good morning and congratulations. Good morning, Neil. How are you? What have you just won? The Le Clef Door Keys. Yes, so I've been accepted into the Claydor Society of uh, Worldwide Concierge. Um, I will be now part of 4,000 worldwide, and I'm number 42 in Ireland, basically. I'll be darned. So congratulations on that. It's a prestige award for the work that you do. Absolutely. Um, it's a dream come true, I suppose. It's something that I've been thinking about and planning for 12 years. And then it's a five-year journey, so I started it then five years ago, and I was rewarded with keys and um, last Monday in Dublin at the AGM of the Claydor. 
Well, you know yeah. what? Many people for many years would have known you outside the door of the Metropole in your beautiful rig out with the top hat and everything. And they sadly missed you from there. But as I said, it's photos gain, right? Absolutely. And look, I suppose that's what it is. Opportunities come along. Um, networking comes along. You have to further your career. Um, I'm out here now in the countryside, as I was talking to you. I'm looking at the beautiful tulips here in the back of the the function room in the hotel. Um, I suppose your guest is the main thing, and I suppose you follow that. It is an honour to be working here. Yeah, and you don't have far to travel from work to home in Killish, you don't? 15 15 minutes, maybe, maybe 16, depending who's listening. Um, (laughs) No, it's great, and look, I have a fantastic team here. As I said, it's a dream to go five-star, it's a dream to become a Play-Doh member, and um, those keys are with me for life. Uh, and you'll take all of the you'll take all of the stories and the scandals to the grave, I suppose. Absolutely, because discretion is your job, isn't it? It is a kind a good concierge should know everything and say nothing. <laughs> basically, um, and I suppose that that you know we'll say from a concierge and from the clay door. So it's a networking. Um, like I was talking to, I was in London two weeks ago, and I was at the concierge, the clay door concierge in the Savoy. And we were just chatting about something. Then I came back and somebody rang me the following day and they were looking for some tickets for a tour in London and I was able to ring him. So, like, it's a huge networking and I suppose the biggest thing with that is the concierge. The guests should never want for anything. Can you get everything, like, has there been ever a request? That's what a concierge is, isn't it? Yeah, so a go-for or a go-to, I suppose, is the easiest way to say it. Um you should be the person, I suppose, that will um, enhance the guest experience. You're the first person they meet at the door and the way in. And it's up to you, really, to enhance their experience. Um, you should be able to get them whatever they need. I always say once it's legal and once it doesn't affect the standing of the family. Once it's in. legal would help, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But which, I mean, you also, and I suppose you have to have that perpetual smile on your face and always in good form and patient, even if they're just cranky. There's no cranky guest, Neil. <laughs> there's no there's got guest. to be cranky customers, man. Not, absolutely not. You can deal with everybody. It depends on your attitude. It depends on your passion. <laughs> Where so did you somebody, learn that? Like, is that just in your rearing? Life skills. I would have been, and I suppose um, I just always look at things and try and, like, you know, I walk away from negativity. And everybody comes to a hotel, realistically, they're escaping something. They might be coming just for a downtime after a very I know, but period. you're always going to get someone coming through the front door and all they're looking for is problems. <laughs> well, all you'll give them, them is the solution. <laughs> and, no, and that's what it is, Neil. And like, you know, with the clay door now, it's a case of um, there's a worldwide society of, as I say, just 4,000 of us and we're all part of one big directory. So like yeah. if somebody is um, Australia, someone's going to France, and they're looking for something and, you know, they're just chatting and you can contact the concierge over there. Then you can arrange something. It might, it might be tickets. It might be just a friendly hello. Get in touch with the concierge mafia around the world, like helping each other. Is there any rich and famous staying in, in photo these days? Anyone we should know about? Any Hollywood celebrities or movie stars booked in, pop stars? And did you want me to tell them about your booking, is it? No? <laughs> no, I just hear, I hear Kylie Minogue <laughs> is coming to Cork. She's not staying down with you, is she? Uh, the bottom line, as I said, is everybody sleeps under the same stars at night and everybody should be of VIP status. <laughs> everybody is some, but everybody is somebody. If Neil Prenderville <laughs> is coming in, if somebody else is coming in, 
you know, there's very little difference between you and Kylie Minogue. Ah, get away, you chancer. <laughs> I know, you have to be a chancer. But look, you have to enjoy your job. And I have a fantastic team here uh, of concierge. And the whole resort is fantastic. We're here, we're back, we're up and running. Busy? Um, oh, by the way, we're, we're hiring uh, concierge. If there's anyone who knows of a concierge now who'd like to work in a clay door property. A concierge? It's like, it's like a, what would make one? Look, I, I even have difficulty pronouncing the bloody word. What would make a good concierge? So a good concierge is somebody who is very passionate about looking after people. Um, literally being able to, well, be able to drive and be able to be, work really off the cuff. Everything is, you can, you can not plan your day. We could plan our day. My day today was totally different already and it's only 12 o'clock and four of the things that I thought I would get done will probably be tonight at 8 o'clock. So you have to be flexible, but you also have to be willing to put the guest first. The guest is always going to come first in any case or property. Anybody wants to follow up on that can get in touch with you at the Vet Photo Resort. Um, I, just before I let you go, I did eat in the Cove restaurant there some weeks back. It was an incredible experience. You've got a head chef there, Marius Urbanovich, I think, is it? Yeah, just that's the reason we just call him Maurice because I wouldn't Mar- even go. Maurice won. He did, yeah. What did he win? He won Chef of the Year for Ireland for the Gold Medal Award as Catering uh, Hospitality Award uh, for his, I suppose, for his food producing oh my god it's incredible what he's doing because he's foraging a lot of the food he's getting it in fields he's getting it in forests he's getting he's getting it his fish caught off the hook and line down in Ballycotton he's really really passionate about what he's doing now it's, he is and he's fantastic and I suppose somebody somebody described um, the clay keys because it's not really that well known but someone said it's like the Michelin of concierge and I think that kind of sums it all up. Listen, that's a great way to finish this conversation. Congratulations on getting the Michelin star of concierge yep. here on Side and keeping it in Cork. So lovely chatting with you, John. Look after yourself. You too. We'll see you shortly. Take care, the great John Coleman, uh, wonderful guy. Last bit of business for you, tickets for Riverdance. BJ Thomas, raindrops keep falling on my head, Rihanna's umbrella and the script with rain. So uh, that's double passes for Riverdance, live at the Marquee for Finbar O'Sullivan down Clonakilty Way. Enjoy the trip up to Cork and enjoy Riverdance. Yeah, I I thought it was from a film, all right. BJ Thomas, raindrops keep falling on my head. I think it's Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, if I remember correctly. Somebody texted the song raindrops can follow my head is from the film Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kids with uh, Paul Newman and Robert Redford thank you for that David you know your movies have a good day I'll see you tomorrow thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content